Ladies and gentlemen, jury, the prosecution is not going to get that man today. No, because I'm going to get him. Ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. It is, uh, wow, it is Tuesday, April 18th, 2017. Thanks so much for joining us, and thank you so much for your belief and your trust in us as we go through the events of today and of recent, uh, just of the recent few days. I want to uh, start out by saying that, uh, I'll start out by telling each and every one of you who has supported us and is supporting us through your prayers, through your fellowship, through your donations, financial donations. I just want to say thank you so much to each one of you. Uh, it means a lot because we have, uh, well, this is going to be a topic here in the, in the first few minutes of this show. There are a couple of things that we want to, uh, we want to tell you and, uh, it involves you. So pull up a chair. Turn up uh, the volume on your car radio, uh, or if you're listening to this uh, via headphones in the office or something, uh, earbuds. Now, I guess, uh, make sure you can make sure you can pay attention for the for a little bit. Uh, of course, uh, for the new listeners, we broadcast live each and every weeknight on Global Star Radio Network, and I want to thank Global Star Radio Network for carrying our program, seven to ten p.m. Eastern time. We're also simulcast on BTR. Blog Talk Radio. They're a fine organization. I want to thank them as well. And, uh, at present, YouTube, YouTube Live. At present. And that's going to be a, a matter of, uh, we want to talk to you about that, uh, concerning what's taking place here. Because I think people need to understand the greater story behind the headlines. Uh, in case you haven't heard, I'll just bring this out and, uh, Joe, you can comment on this as well. We we had some information earlier that the Facebook killer boy isn't that, isn't this going to be the uh, title of a movie? The Facebook killer, right? Stephen Stevens. I guess his parents weren't too original. Of course, uh, I don't believe that's that's his birth name, or if it is, uh, again, his parents certainly not that original. We we had information that he was in this area, and in fact, he was. And, uh, in case you haven't heard, he was, didn't quite, he got his chicken McNuggets, but not his fries, which led to his demise in, uh, Erie, Pennsylvania. Not too far from, well, on the other side of town from where we're at, but, uh, based on everything I was, I've, I've heard, uh, from one source, uh, in the state police that, you know, he, he was, he was in, in, in around this area, even where we are. Uh, for the last 36 hours, anyway. So, yeah, very interesting. Well, they, have, you know, they haven't verified yet that yet. And one of the issues I have, not publicly. I just want to say, not right. publicly. And and there was a press conference today that the state police gave, and there was a press conference. I think it was this morning that the Cleveland police gave, or maybe it was yesterday that I watched. Uh, they've been Cleveland police have been giving press conferences the last few days on this issue. One, there was information that his cell phone was pinged in Erie. That was on Sunday, apparently. Or but that wasn't yeah. true, according to 
Well, the no. the pol- uh, state police, the city police, they never verified that information. That never, information never came across there. But, but, but here's something, that, Joe. I, I just to keep catch you up to speed, just so you understand, there was surveillance being done on the Reddit forum. There was uh, FBI and, and Pennsylvania State Police and Ohio uh, Highway Patrol surveillance on the Reddit forum. The on the Reddit on one of the Reddit forums, they th- this guy, this wackadoodle murderer. Gave out his cell phone number. Yeah. Okay. They published it on the forum, and some hackers got into it. That information about the ping did not come from the police. It came from a private, if I will say, a hacker. Or, or if if you want to go. So that the way. hacker really the hacker doing the police's work for them. Well, right. And the the information about well, we couldn't we we didn't have uh, uh, the police saying we couldn't. We couldn't establish his his uh, location based on his cell phone. Do you buy that? No, not even a little bit. Right, I mean either. But the other parts of the story, I know today, the uh, officers, the state police officers who followed him when he left the McDonald's, and we're talking about the Facebook killer, uh, as as he has been described. I don't like ascribing mm-hmm. names to these kind of people or titles. Because to me that feeds into their their legacy, which they don't deserve. But the information I received was um, they 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 knew he was in that area, and I'll tell you why this is important in a second. They knew he was in the uh, Buffalo Road projects tenements in that area. They knew he was there. They did have police looking for him. Somehow he went up to uh, he might not have been there at that moment, obviously when they were looking for him, but. Uh, Apparently, just shortly after 11, 11, 10, 11, 15, he, uh, Eastern time, he went to the McDonald's and ordered food, uh, chicken McNuggets and fries. The staff at McDonald's says, oh, uh, I think this is the guy. So they, of course, uh, the, the girl at the window, um, told the manager, the manager eyed the car. Meanwhile, the girl at the window contacted 911, the state police. They dispatch vehicles right away. The girl at the window had the presence of mind to say, okay, you know, we're getting your, 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 your McNuggets are coming out. It's going to be a second for your fries, a minute for your fries. Just, you know, wait right here and we'll get them for you. Meanwhile, the guy, Steven says, oh, I don't have time for this. Uh, no, no problem. You know, keep the money, keep the money for the fries. I don't need them. And he left going west on Buffalo Road. Buffalo Road runs east and west across the east side of the city. And just to understand the city of Erie, in that area, that's where um, the Martin Luther King Center is. That's where the projects are. That's where the public housing is. Uh, that's where a lot of the multicultural centers are. That kind of gives you an idea of that area. Of the city, well, you have the county that is bordered by Ohio on one side, New York on the other, and right. the city is, is a much smaller area inside that. But and he it, was starting to go from the city into. Well, uh, no, he was he was in the county, and, and here's in the county into the city, right? And, and the reason the state police, as opposed to the Erie police, he was actually, and I, I don't know how much of this is public, but but he went from the McDonald's in the, and um, uh, it would be just right over the city line 
which is state into police a, jurisdiction. Into a municipal area. Into, uh, right. Was it uh, Lawrence Park? Or no, he, like we that. went from the, the county into the city. Right. But the pursuit began, and when I say pursuit, it was more of a, uh, there he is, you know, let's get our act together, you know, as we, as we inclo- uh, close in on him. And of course he saw the police car and then there was the, the, as I understand it, based on my conversation with this, my PSP source, Pennsylvania State Police source, it was a very, very short, like a hundred yards short chase. It wasn't a high speed, it was very short, which explains when you hear the news, well, you know, he shot himself. Uh, during a pit maneuver by the Pennsylvania State Police car behind him. So in other words, the PSP car, uh, attempted to, to, you know how they do the pit maneuvers, attempted to, uh, uh, yeah. disable the vehicle. And that's when he shot himself or shortly thereafter. So, but that was a very, very short period of time. So it's all over, but there, the lesson I, the, the takeaway from this, and, and this is something that, that we spoke about in the office, and I think that everyone, uh, should consider if you don't have a concealed weapons permit and your state allows it, most states do. Get a concealed weapons permit and learn how to use the weapon that you carry. Because think about this: imagine being a citizen, having a concealed weapons permit already being approved for this. Now I know I know a lot of people who do this. In fact, I know a couple of off-duty or retired municipal police officers who never carry their their off-duty weapons. Well, their weapons now with them, even though, of course, they're they're permitted to. They never carry their, their weapons. So imagine the situation. If you if you are licensed to carry a weapon, you've got a weapon on you, you see, for example, this guy, and what do you do? You, you, you dial, of course, 911, but the other obvious thing... And they're going to tell you not to engage. And- right, of course, of course. But... It would, you would be, to me, it would be foolish if you are licensed to carry and you're proficient with a weapon not to have it with you. Can you imagine? I mean, you know this guy's armed and dangerous. So that should be a lesson to everyone. If you don't have a, a weapons, uh, concealed weapons carry permit, definitely get one. And if you have one, make sure you carry your weapon with you at all times outside of your home. That's my recommendation in addition to some other things, but I think, and this to me, this this is getting more and more critical that we do this. Go ahead. The one thing that bothers me about this whole scenario is the amount of coverage this guy got just because he decided to videotape his crime and post it on social media. Well, right, because now you have, and you had mentioned before, the killer in Fresno, of course, that was a terror, Muslim terrorist, mm-hmm. Muslim-inspired terrorist. Uh, and there are other things breaking up, but this kind of segues into uh, Facebook, and I think the biggest story right now that is not being reported on, obviously, the terrorist violence out there, the fact that uh, the the uh, the fact that uh, you've got videos, there, Facebook is allowing videos to be posted and retained. I suppose the allowance. The shock of the allowance for the, the videos to be retained is, is what I'm referring to here. In fact, yesterday, of course, Brandon House and the uh, the uh, former Muslim turned Christian who were talking in uh, Sioux Falls, uh, South Dakota, on April 9th, when the Muslim 
man came in to the venue where they were speaking, armed with a Quran, armed with a uh, not not just a sidearm, not not a, not just a semi-automatic in his uh, belt holster, but one in his ankle, and then went to his vehicle and displayed a couple of long guns, including an AK-47 and an AR-15, and then the ammunition. I've been watching and looking at this video. That is still up on Facebook. Do you understand, folks? That video that he took and, and shot live in that venue is still on Facebook. The video he took of the weapons is still on Facebook. Yes, the story is his intent. Questionable intent. Did he cross the line? Was there an obvious transgression of that line from, uh, uh, being just a, just a guy that, that had a license or has a license to carry a concealed weapon? Did he cross the line into making terroristic threats? Certainly it was implied as he, as he took the camera and, and spanned the crowd. I would certainly look at that as, yeah, I think that the elements there, of course, this would be for a judge and jury to, to decide, and it certainly would be for a prosecutor to decide in terms of uh, filing uh, charges. But if I was a prosecutor in the environment that we are, that we have today, I certainly would be filing charges against that, against that man. This is my view. And you know, I've got all of the, I've got his name and all of his information in my office. I did, I did some checking on this man. Well, you know, I want to just jump in here. After our interview last night with Brandon about this issue, this morning I found a number of articles on the internet from a number of, of sites that put this story up. Yes. And I read through, but we were first. Absolutely. Uh, you know, uh, well, Brandon was first, and then we right. were his first interview. Um, but the comments and, and what people thought, I read through a lot of those. And aside from maybe a few trolls or people looking to to cause trouble or to be funny, I mean, ninety-five to ninety-nine percent of the people were asking or saying, "Why it wasn't? Why haven't charges been filed yet?" When will they be filed? Who do I need to talk to okay. to help push and, and this forward? And, 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 and how would it look if it was on the other foot? If it was a right. Muslim conference and you know a Christian went there, did the same thing, you know we'd already be in jail. It was it, it was all that same sentiment. Everybody agreed for you know the vast majority of people, ninety plus percent that I read, agreed that this was a chargeable offense. Exactly. And, and it, it okay. And this is why this is so important today. This is why, with respect to the. Uh, the so-called Facebook murderer, the Facebook shooter, and with what happened on April 9th in South Dakota with Brandon House, now with what's happening with YouTube, this all ties together. There, once you start investigating this, and folks, I'm gonna, I wanna talk directly to you and, and tell you a few things that I, that we found, that I've found directly by digging down into this whole situation of censorship. Uh, and make an announcement as well. The issue is this. Um, well, let me go back here. You you may recall we did a conference in Dallas, Texas, back last year, and there was there were threats made, not not by Muslims, but there were telephone threats made. Well, I, I'm not 
exactly sure 100% of the nature of the threats or what was said. I was not privy to that, but there was a threat and uh, to, to the venue. And that threat, it is my understanding, it is my personal belief that that threat was done with some level of malice, and the intent was to either get the hotel to say, well, man, you know, I don't think we want your, your, your conference here, or, and, or, to create additional cost to the conference presenters and the conference organizers. All right. Well, what does that have to do with anything? Okay, well, it has a lot to do with what we're seeing happen today. Because based on what I found with the connections, my investigative findings of the actor, the, the man that's on Facebook, that you can go to his website today and see that display of arrogance, of Islamic arrogance against Brandon House and that that event. The fact that Facebook allowed is allowing this video to, to, to remain on, on Facebook should speak volumes. The fact that he did what he did, he, some might say, well, he was just alone in his actions, not based on what I have seen. I believe he was there in his actions. In this case, it was part of a larger agenda. That agenda is to shut down any and all discussion about Islam, to shut down and shut up people like Brandon House, the other speaker that was there, people like, well, just name a pastor. Name a pastor that has the temerity to talk about and the courage to talk about Islam and about what the Quran says without fear of censorship. And, and there, there are getting fewer and fewer out there in the Christian world. And yet, um, well, I'll just leave it at that. But my investigation into this man, who identified himself as John Smith, Muslim, Muslim John Smith, that's not his name, obviously. In fact, that. Um, his name is uh, Ehab, uh, I don't have it in front of me, but he's from Saudi Arabia. It's on his Facebook page, his, his name, and he has connections to, based on my investigation, uh, my investigative assessment, he's got connections to the uh, various Saudi-funded mosques and ties with not just the North American Islamic Trust, but also... Uh, Arms at arm's length, the uh, Council on American Islamic Relations. There he is. Well, he's pictured on our YouTube channel if you want to take a look at him. Now, why is this important? Because we're looking at the attempts by the Muslims, by the Marxists, and by certain groups to take us off the air, to shut down any type of um, any type of discussion about about Islam to stifle any kind of discussion about uh, conservative values and that includes but is not limited to homosexual marriage which is an oxymoron there's no such thing the queer LGBTQ studies or phenomena where you've got to have 31 pronouns to describe uh, either a male or female which is just bogus abortion 
any talk about Planned Parenthood or abortion. Um, the takeover, the, and again, I just want to go back to this, the, the springboard is the Islamic takeover of the United States through immigration. So you've got these, all of these hot button points. You've got the Muslims and the Marxists combining forces using this is not a, this is not a single front battle using a number of tactics from protests and riots to just merely protest again reference the so-called protest of 50 or so uh older white majority white females holding signs in front of the uh placards and singing songs in front of the venue in South Dakota along with the Muslims of course you've got several Jewish organizations those are on the religious fronts then you've got of course on the political fronts you've got opposition research organizations and foot organizations ground level foot organizations including the umbrella organization run by Obama organizing for action. Then you've got something called Share Blue. That's pretty much dedicated to the internet. I don't know how many people understand Share Blue, but it operates under the pretext. It's a media company. And their mission statement, quoting from their website, is we produce practical, factual content to delegitimize. In this case, they're going after President Donald Trump. Trump's presidency, embolden opposition and empower the majority of Americans to fight. Now, this is where resist fascism comes in. This is where Antifa comes in. This is where Revcom comes in. Also, other organizations, in addition to ShareBlue, and ShareBlue is pretty much relegated to the Internet, then you've got Media Matters, you've got American Bridge 21st Century, you've got Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington, which is, goes by the acronym of CREW. And then you've got the legal side of things, which is American Oversight. That is uh, an organization that was just started. It's a 501c4 organization. And that's that's comprised of about five lawyers in Washington, D.C. that founded American Oversight. And their whole mission in life is to file lawsuits. Okay, just understand that. And if you're, and if you've ever been the, the defendant in a lawsuit, it doesn't matter how frivolous it is. It, it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's some idiot, moron, psycho person out there that files a lawsuit against you without merit. You still have to defend it. And sometimes, Regardless of the, you know, regardless of the, the merits or without, even without merit, it's still going to cost you time and money. So that's that organization. So you've got, you've got this multifaceted attack against Christians, against conservatives, yet Facebook. Let's keep that video up there. YouTube. YouTube in the New York Times today how YouTube is shifting algorithms hurt independent media folks 
if this story, I mean, you talk about fake news. The tenants, I suppose, of the majority of tenants are correct, but the delivery, the explanation, the details, I don't believe are. The, there, there was a, a story published yesterday. How YouTube's shifting algorithms hurt independent media. Bottom line is this. They have, de- they're in the process of demonetizing any non-ad friendly content. They're going after conservatives. They're going after Christians. And let me tell you something. Anyone who believes that they will, that it's going to turn around, that they're going to fix this problem, you're not paying attention. This is not a problem that's limited to some stray algorithm. This is an intentional, this is is intentional. So we are responding in kind, and and then how we're going to do things is a little different. That's the announcement. Um. This article makes excuses for YouTube, saying it doesn't yeah. take into consideration the context, what's humor, what's you know, versus what's um, intentionally made to be satire offensive. versus fact. Right, yeah, it's not. Yeah. And as they say in the article, people were the ones who made the algorithms. Yeah, um, it's, and it's not just from from major advertisers saying that they want to pull away from extremist content, because regardless of how, I mean, they say what four hundred hours of video an hour uploaded to YouTube or if not more or a minute um, how much how much extremist content is really uploaded to YouTube I'm sure it's very minimal it's certainly the on the Christian side or conservative side there there is none I know we're right. getting close to the break look I just want to say this well how we're going to handle this is uh, and this comes out of this comes out of a horrible time you've got uh, we just we just amassed a, a group of investigators going out and infiltrating these organizations that, that I referenced We've got added expenses, uh, you know, just tremendous. So this revenue hit us right square in the jaw. How are we going to handle this? We're just going to appeal to you. If you like what you hear, if you like what you see, if you want us to continue our investigative, uh, our investigative, uh, uh, part in this show, then we ask for your assistance. And you've been, you've really been, been, you've helped us a lot. Plus, I ask you, we ask you, that you support our sponsors, every single sponsor that we've got. Please show your support to our sponsors because they're the ones taking the heat as well. We're going to be, uh, I'm going to be writing some more about our investigative findings on this to let you know because this is pretty complex and it warrants more than a, uh, skating just because kind of drive by here on the, on the radio. Go ahead. We'll be right back folks with Austin Brewer. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. In a thrilling series of novels, T.C. Joseph takes us into the lives of three families who struggle to maintain normal lives in a world where conspiracy theory and Bible prophecy collide. 
T.C. Joseph's viewpoint of alternative history and understanding of prophetic events will change your view of the world and the events on our horizon. Kirkus Review states, Readers of End Times Fiction will be hard-pressed to find it done more intriguingly than this. Extremely readable and fast-paced. Blue Week Reviews boldly states, Fans of Tim LaHaye's Left Behind series and Tom Parada's The Leftovers will find this thought-provoking series absolutely riveting. Order your copies of T.C. Joseph's This Generation series from Amazon.com. Book 1, Precipice. Book 2, Pentecost. And Book 3, Penance. Uncertain times, it makes sense to have a sustainable backup method to cook food and boil water. If your current plan includes using a fuel burning stove or cooking over an open fire, then there's a much better way. The Miniman Rocket Stove is a biomass burning cooking stove that only requires small quantities of sticks and twigs for fuel. The Miniman Stove is easy to use, smokeless, portable, powerful, and sustainable. For the finest in survival cooking stoves and fire starters made right here in the USA, go to MinutemanStove.com. That's MinutemanStove.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. A world dismissed as conspiracy by those who want to keep its secrets hidden. Exposing the dangers, denials, and deceptions. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in his community and beyond. Stained by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stained by Blood. Make sure I don't do anything crazy. Okay. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to this edition of the Hagman and the Hagman Report. I know that uh, you're probably throwing things at your radio from the first segment, saying, oh, why don't you just spit it out already? Folks, there's a very fine line um, on a number of things. If, if <laughs> the investigations that we've been conducting into the censorship issue are so, are so revealing... They are uh, composed, comprised of so many levels. You don't understand. Uh, in order for us to really do the job that it really takes, it's going to have to be a separate video. But I just want to get the gist of it to you. The censorship of conservative and Christian, the, their messages, the messages that's going out, folks, is only going to continue to worsen. You have to understand that. So we have to think of alternative venues in order to get our message out. Global Star Radio, 100%. YouTube is just going to be icing on the cake if it allows us to even talk about this. Or if it does, yeah, we can use it, but certainly you can't benefit, not even the least, from it. Just telling you the way it's going to go. Those people who are expecting this revenue to return, no. You've got a better chance of, uh, you know, seeing a Teletubby in your garage or something. Uh, it's just not going to happen. 
this is important and this is one of the more sinister things that are happening behind the scenes and the people behind this are not who you think they are so just understand that's why I'm very hesitant sometimes and just to understand the magnitude of this it's crazy having said that I want to mention two things um well, more on that. Uh, I'll just I'll just leave it go. More on that as in the coming days, and we're going to be uh, uh, putting some things on the website as well. Both AgmanReport.com and HomelandSecurityUS.com. It's that critical. We have now with us Austin Brower, HealthMasters.com. He's got a show with his dad every day, uh, three to four p.m. Eastern time. It's a great show. He's he's coming on to talk right now about. In fact, I'll kick it over to Joe. Talk about. Uh, uh, some of the headlines, the global geopolitics headlines, including but not limited to things you're not hearing about that they're covering, such as Africa and what's taking place in Africa. Austin, great to have you, brother. Go ahead, Joe. Thanks, guys. Glad to be on the show with you. Yeah, the first thing I wanted to cover today, and I mean, this is something that nobody's really talking about, is that the U.S. is putting boots on the ground in Somalia again now. If you guys remember, uh, back in 1993 of October, we basically had a, a battle over there, which most people know it as the Black Hawk Down incident where 18 U.S. soldiers were killed, another 73 were severely wounded. If you saw the motion picture, it kind of gave you a small depiction of how aggressive that entire situation was. It was really sad to waste a lot of lives just for no reason at all. That was, of course, under the Clinton administration. Um, But about a couple months after that happened, in October of 93, United States basically was such a fiasco, they pulled all the troops, completely withdrew them out of Somalia. Um, Now they've reported that... new deployment with U.S. AFRICOM is they're putting U.S. troops on the ground officially again in Somalia. They're stating now that this is basically a simple training operation, but as we all know, I mean, every time the military has a training operation or they're just going to be somewhere temporarily, it usually escalates from there. Now, I mean, there have been contractors and there have been a few special operations that have happened over the last 15 to 20 years there, but they never really were official. Now we're actually putting an official infantry back on the ground in Somalia. The issue is is that it's the request of the Somalian government of why we're bringing U.S. troops back in for this so-called training exercise. Um, the issue with Somalia is, I mean, it's it's in a constant civil war all the time. I mean, we use Somalia as one of the main countries to funnel weapons through into Africa. So, I mean, they are just littered with heavy weapons, 50 cals, RPGs, everything. They have endless supplies of it over there. Um, that's why the whole incident with Black Hawk Down was so violent and hard to control because it was just a nightmare. And like I said, you can see part of that in that movie. Um, but I don't really know what to think of it. I don't know why we're putting them in there. Obviously, we're not being told everything. Uh, so I wanted to bring that up today and let the audience know that, I mean, we're going into another country again, putting infantry on the ground in a country we really have no business being in, guys. Austin, two things. Two things yeah. real quick, and, and this for the benefit of our audience, too. Number one, uh, the generals, the majority of the military generals today say there's you can only fight. America can only fight and be effective on two two fronts, two separate fronts. Yep. And the story on that. But the reason Somalia is important, from my research and investigation, is Somalia is a hub, if not one of the uh, uh, or, or origin countries for uh, human organs and human human trafficking. Okay. So just to add that in there, um, in the Muslim countries, especially the Muslim majority countries, where they don't smoke, they don't drink. Their livers are worth a heck of a lot more than westernized countries where you have a, a cirrhotic liver 
or, uh, you know, bad lungs. Just as an FYI. Thank you, man. Go ahead. Well, yeah, that's, I, I actually didn't know that part. I do know that they, a lot of those countries, they've been using some of the heavy weapons, but that makes sense. I mean, when you start having the organ smuggling like that, um, it would make sense. Who knows why we're actually going to be there, if we're going to be there for an extended time. I'm not sure. So, I mean, we'll, uh, we'll just have to keep an eye on it and keep the audience informed as we see what happens. I just really hope we don't have another situation like what happened in 93, because that was pretty horrific for the uh, U.S. troops over there. And we've seen a lot of, um, Obviously, this is not an example of, of uh, war games, military training missions, um, as we saw in South Korea in the, over the last few weeks, and now they're launching a new um, war game in Australia with the U.S. and Australia. But into Somalia, as you said, this is a whole different issue. They're not, they're going there for a specific unstated purpose, and for what you know, why well, we don't know, and uh, what's the agenda, what's the mission, it's not being disclosed. So that's a little concerning. Um, and as you said, Somalia's been in a state of civil war for a long time. It does, you know, bring, you know, you want to know why. I'm sure, uh, many people want to know why. And one of the big criticisms I see from Trump supporters is what he ran on a non-interventionalist platform. You know, exactly. he wasn't going to do this. And a lot of people are, are, um, angry with him for, from the Syria strike to the meddling in North Korea, uh, the North Korea situation less so, but, if this is the a pattern of behavior, uh, he's going to have a hard time getting reelected if he continues to go back on his campaign promises. He's going to have a hard time finishing his term, Austin. What do you yeah. say about that? No, you're absolutely right. I mean, that was kind of one of the big aspects that a lot of the conservatives really liked about him is he wanted to focus primarily on America, you know, make America great again. I mean, that was his slogan, not invade more countries again like we've done for the last 20 years. And uh, this whole thing with North Korea, you know, I personally think there's a lot of stuff going on over there that we're not being told about. All we're hearing on the mainstream media every day now is how North Korea is going to release a nuke. They're going to release an EMP. They're going to release a cyber attack. They're going to do all this stuff. Granted, I'm not a fan of North Korea. You know, I'm not a fan of this regime or anything they're really involved in. However, every time we start seeing the mainstream media go this far into something and continue to push an agenda, a narrative that really seems like it's a globalist narrative, to me it seems like they're trying to prep everybody and get everybody conditioned for a false flag. That way if a nuke does get launched, if an EMP does go off, if we have some massive cyber attack, doesn't even matter if it's North Korea. It could be the CIA. We know they have the malware and all the different devices to do that now. They're immediately going to blame it on North Korea, just like we saw in Syria last week with the gas, whatever they released it was. It didn't take a day for them to blame Assad for it, and they had zero evidence at all. So I don't know. What's your guys' take on North Korea as far as what's going over there right now? Well, you know, there's a lot of different um, narratives that are in the media, and I, I agree that whether it's media driven or this is you know Trump trying to show maybe his his dominance or if it's his ego as some people have said I don't know but um it does seem media driven and I even saw a headline to that effect I believe it was yesterday you know um media reports almost trigger you know nuclear war between US yeah. and North Korea I agree with you that it is a media narrative. North Korea is a horrible country when it comes to human rights yeah. abuses and 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 freedom of its citizens. Yet at the same time, it's you know it hasn't been involved in a war since 1953. Yeah. They're um, they they do operate with threats to Just other countries. Just understand that, Joe and and Austin. The, that war we're still at war. That it was just right, an armistice right. that was signed. Um, 
But one thing that that I think about is that list of seven nations that don't have a central bank in it before 2001, the terrorist attacks in 2001. North Korea is still one of three nations left not to have that. And Iran is another one. Yeah, and I'm not sure who the third one is. But um, there definitely is an agenda that we are not being informed upon, and nor ever will we be in this lifetime, uh, as to the true intentions of why they're doing what they're doing. So I would say it's a little bit of both. It's, uh, you know, maybe Trump was allowed some some latitude to um, put his foot down. At the same time, this probably came from, you know, a a higher-up think tank organization like the CFR or... This is definitely part of the globalist agenda. Oh, absolutely. Like you just said, I mean, you go back 2001, you know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Syria, all these countries, they didn't have a Federal Reserve controlled bank there. They didn't have a central bank. And the first thing we do after we completely change the regime and we take over the country after we usually get done bombing it, we throw in a Federal Reserve, you know, Federal Reserve mm-hmm. Bank into that country and control what they were going to do. The same way we saw with Libya, with Gaddafi and how he wanted to start trading in gold with oil, you saw how quickly that was shut down. They made sure that that wasn't going to happen. And then you had the incident with Benghazi that really is one of the only things that got national attention with that whole situation because if that wouldn't have happened over there, I think very few people would have ever, ever really learned the truth about what happened in Libya. Yeah, uh, Libya, Syria, Iraq, yep. Afghanistan, uh, Iran, North Korea, and I think Cuba was was the seventh one. So there might be only two left. And what what are the biggest uh, the the war hawks out there? What are their biggest um, the biggest countries that they continue to promote that they want to Iran attack? And Iran Korea. and North Korea. Yep. So it's not a coincidence at all. Um, and will we take? Will we be brought to war with North Korea? Um, I want to say no, you know, not not at this moment, but at the same time, I'm not sure because the way the media is portraying this, and and it's so hard to tell in this age of propaganda, especially when you're talking about an international political situation. You're only getting one side of the story. I forget who I was talking to. Maybe it was uh, our producer John Robertson. He was telling us that the throughout last week, all these different uh, countries' newspapers from uh, many places in Europe to uh, other places around the world saying, you know, we're basically on the brink of, of nuclear war, that this was going to happen. But it was being portrayed in the American media much differently than it was being portrayed in the in the global media. And I wonder how, I'm sure that happens more often than not. Um, so we, I don't think we'll know until something happens um, if we're actually going to be in a, a militarized conflict with North Korea uh, from here on out. I, it's obviously going to happen at some time in some way. Some people say China is is going to reign in North Korea uh through sanctions and you know cutting back their the amount of coal they purchase from North Korea and other economic hits that they're going to take through China and some believe it will come to a you know missile launching uh combat situation and that's obviously the worst case scenario but remember we're not far away from the this new world order being implemented exactly. in full force well, and the thing that I really that I noticed as far as the last couple of weeks, I've really been trying to watch this from an outside perspective and then kind of compare it to what we've seen with other countries pre-invasion and so forth. And when I started seeing the cyber threat narrative being pushed so hard by the mainstream media last week and this week about North Korea, that's what really raised the big red flag to me because if you start – 
looking at really the implications with what the CIA is capable of after we saw, you know, the WikiLeaks Vault 7 release month, month and a half ago, how they actually have the malware and the different types of viruses that they can make it look like any country is the country of origin from a cyber threat and you really can't even figure out where it came from as far as it's directly pointing to them. When I started seeing that, it really made me start to think that if we actually do have some type of conflict arise or if it does start, I personally think, in my opinion, it's going to be some type of false flag and then that's going to get North Korea to engage because we're going to have the the preliminary say, oh, we're striking now because they did a cyber threat, so we're going to launch another 59 Tomahawk missiles or whatever they want to do again. And then, of course, at that point, we know North Korea is going to retaliate if we do that. That's why I'm really thinking it's leaning in that direction. <clears throat> yeah, and, you know, hopefully we don't we don't see a false flag, but, uh, you know, basically so. every war, uh, especially recently, has been started through some type of disinformation propaganda or false flag yep. attack. And I'm sure it will be no different as we see more and more of the uh, consolidation of the media, you know, pushing the the globalist New World Order narrative. It seems like all mainstream media, on the right or the left, both are are highly controlled. They're told what to talk about, what not to talk about, yeah. how to uh, talk about issues, in what context, who to defend, who not to defend. So everything is ripe for a false flag attack or a... Uh, duping the people to take us to war. And we've heard from uh, several of our guests who say that they would do it for, you know, economic reasons, meaning they need the dollar to maintain its value um, so that this is one reason to invade North Korea or go to war with North Korea. I mean, there's there's a million reasons and speculation as to why, but um, hopefully the deterrent of Russia and China will keep us from an all-out war because if you go to war with North Korea, unless there is a false flag you know, pointing to North Korea, China and Russia are definitely going to get involved, and that's yeah. we're in no no shape to launch a full fledged World War Three. Even though we know it's going to be coming at some time, it doesn't mean we have to get into it today or tomorrow. No, I, we all hope it's not going to happen. <laughs> absolutely, um, but that, that, but that's one of the reasons why. I mean, you know, I've been telling everybody the last couple of weeks. You know, whatever happens, whatever the reasoning is, whether it's a real attack, whether it's a false flag. Everybody's got to start staying as prepped as possible. And I mean, having backup water at the house, having some backup ammo, having stuff with you in the vehicle, man. I mean, that's, I, I keep that in my truck all the time. I have a small bag, you know, I got a Glock in there with mags. I got some food bars, some water filters, you know, a full IFAC kit, which is basically a, um, a first aid kit with tourniquets and all that. Just because if everybody kind of starts collectively getting prepared, even if it's just something minor, you know, like having some storable food, having some canned food, having some water, everybody's going to be able to come together if something does happen and we're going to be able to support each other in a unit. Too many people now in this country are so reliant on right now aspects. You know, they go to Walmart every other day for food or they go to fast food. They don't even have food at their house. All this stuff is getting ready that it's just the smallest spark could ignite something so aggressive in this country to where most people would have no idea how to even function longer than two to three days without their bare essentials being covered. And um, that's why I've just been telling everybody, man, here locally, here on the show, it doesn't cost that much. You know, a lot of times people go out to dinner and eat $40, $50 in food at dinner. You can go to Sam's, you can go to Publix, you can buy, you know, $20, $30 in canned food and $10 in water. 
You do that once every two to three weeks. You do that for six months. You have enough food and water for you and your family to sit on for a month and not even have to go out to the store. So I don't know, man. That's if your audience is, you know, I, I know your audience is huge on that. So, but I just like to convey it as well because I want to make sure everybody knows that I keep reiterating it for that specific reason. Because if everybody's ready, if something happens, it's going to be a lot easier for all the patriots to come together and really support one another instead of having multiple people that are trying to leech off everybody. Absolutely right, uh, Austin. Um, what else is uh, is catching your guys' attention on on what are you guys talking about on your radio show? Well, um, one of the things that um, caught my attention this is about from about a week ago, but I was talking about it because this is something that nobody really is bringing up in the media, and it's starting to get quite big in a lot of states. Uh, five states now um, already are allowing. Uh, police to use armed drones. Now they're saying it's only for less lethal weapons. Connecticut now is about to be another state that's going to allow this. They're having a bill and see what it does is the bill in a lot of these things are getting passed is very vague, but what it essentially does is it bans weaponized drones except for police and other agencies involved in law enforcement. So what it does is it prohibits the use from a civilian from having an armed drone, which I can't really say that's a bad thing, but then it takes it to the side and gives law enforcement, FBI, ATF, any of these guys the ability to operate weaponized drones in this state. And so they're allowed to use stun guns, rubber bullets, tear gas, any less lethals are allowed to be on it. The issue I have with this is as we know with the police state, as it's pushing closer and closer and closer to a full-blown tyrannical government uh, from just the police state aspect and what we've seen from the MRAPs, from the government subsidies, from all the vehicles and machine guns and night vision, everything coming over from the Middle East and just being given to these law enforcement agencies. I know our local sheriff, Polk County, um, they have two MRAPs. One is monstrous. It's a huge MRAP, and they got it for 2500 bucks. Um, now they're getting drones subsidized, and they're saying they're allowed to use less lethals on them. The problem is where is the line drawn with this? I mean, so now what are they going to say? If you're in your backyard and, say, you're shooting a gun in a berm, and they say, well, your acreage isn't big enough to operate the firearm, even though it's a safe manner, we're going to fly a drone over you, we're going to start shooting you with rubber bullets, or we're going to deploy tear gas. When you start allowing drones to operate like this and allow them to be armed, even if it's with less lethals, it sends a big red flag up in my head that we're going in the wrong direction. And the issue with that as well is, like I said, where's the line drawn? Where do they say, well, they're only weaponized with less lethals, but there's an exception if there's some type of significant terrorist attack, we're going to be able to fit them with an M4 machine gun. And uh, that's the only way we'll do it, though. That's where we're headed with these weaponized drones. And really, nobody's wanting to talk about it that much. And in my opinion, it's something very, very significant that local police are starting to do in a lot of states now. Yeah, I've seen uh, you know a number of reports about... Um not armed drones, but police using drones for different things like speeding traps. Yep. Um, and doing even, uh, uh, testing over unsuspecting residents in Texas. Yep. Uh, that was a story from just a week or two ago. If, well, Joe, if I can interrupt, people yeah. may remember, I, I talked about this a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I said on our program, I, I'm gonna, I'll just say one year ago. Okay, but I know it was longer than that. And folks, you might remember this. We, or the government, is already using armed drones. Not just surveillance drones, but armed 
drones over the continental United States. That was my source who had, who had given to me uh, from the government, from DHS, stating, yes, armed drones are in use. Now, it, did they fire on anybody? No. I mean, not that, you know, how do we know? But nonetheless, this should not surprise anyone if you've been listening to this program for any length of time. No, you're, you're absolutely right. And the one thing I brought up the other day when I was talking about this is we actually, we have had one confirmed death with an unarmed vehicle. And that was in Dallas, if you guys remember last year, mm-hmm. with the guy that was shooting the cops. I mean, it was, it was an egregious act. And they barricaded himself in the car, the um, carport area, wherever he was at, and they used one of the uh, bomb squad machine drones to basically go in there with a grenade or whatever they had fabbed up, and they basically blew him up in the room. And Now, I'm not advocating what the guy did. I thought it was egregious. I mean, he was shooting people, shooting unarmed civilians, shooting cops. I mean, it was ridiculous. But again, there was no trial. There was no nothing. They sent a drone in and blew him up in the room. Did that save police lives from having to engage him and bring a SWAT team in the room? Possibly. But again, you just use a weaponized drone on an American civilian. And um, like I said, I'm not supporting what the guy did, but that really set a bad precedent because I really saw a huge portion of the population actually agree with what he did and commended the police department and saying it was awesome when I don't think anybody really even comprehended what just happened in this country because to me it wasn't cool at all. Well, you know, uh, you're going to get a lot of back and forth on that. Um, I guess without getting into that specific story, I do agree with you. Uh, at the same time, in a situation like that with an active live shooter gunning down police officers, uh, I, I don't remember all the specific details, but I remember that they had a camera on it. And I, I don't know. I, I do agree with what you're saying, though, that the, the weaponization of, of police drones and vehicles is another area where they will be able to uh, continue to abuse powers. Uh, exactly right. And you know, can and it is much more invasive with with drones because um they have they make drones that are very small, they make drones that are that are very quiet and you know, the police obviously having access to taxpayer money are not are going to go for the the best equipment out there. And when you already have uh issues uh, relating to police misconduct when it comes to the use of drones and, and privacy issues and other constitutional issues to continue to further to weaponize them to uh, you know say they're going to to release them during uh, even for like you said people shooting on their property it's yeah. um it's very troubling and um I don't know we're not going in the right direction in that area you know we're coming, becoming more of a police state yeah as you indicated and uh, I'm not sure that I'm not sure what defense we have except, you know, the same corrupt courts against uh, fighting against this. So, you know, where do yeah, we go I from here? That's, I think that's one of the most frustrating parts, and that's why, you know, it's so important that everybody engages, you know, their local government as far as whether it's their mayors or their governor or whatever. When you see stuff like this and you see it coming on the books, you know, we have to oppose it as strong as possible. And the issue I have with this, like I said, is they're passing it. You can't arm a drone, but yet... They're saying law enforcement and other agencies are allowed to use less lethals on them. Um, so that's, to me, you know, I'm a big advocate of the Second Amendment. I personally think, you know, Class Three weapons and all that should be much more accessible. You're already doing background checks. You're already doing fingerprints. You're already going to go through the whole ATF process. Um, the whole idea of the Second Amendment was allowing and ensuring 
that the civilian population had the exact same weapons as the government. Now, granted, I don't think civilians need to be running around with, you know, surface air missiles and Abrams tanks. There's really not a legitimate purpose for that. But as far as, far as small arms go, if they're trying to say civilians can't have an armed drone, but police can have an armed drone, police can have unlimited machine guns, but we can't have them unless they were made before 1986, that's where it starts going. That's why I've been such a huge advocate of getting the Hughes Amendment repealed and all also, too, getting suppressors off the NFA uh, Act, so you can actually buy a suppressor, which all it is is a you know a a weapon a weapon that a suppressor you know silencer. It's just a weapon accessory. So that's one thing that I've really tried to work on on the local level and the uh, whole country level is really allowing law-abiding citizens to have access to weapons that they're entitled to by the Constitution. Yeah, it's, now some might argue, Austin, that well, the Constitution doesn't uh, doesn't really give you the right to own a silencer or a suppressor. But, right. But but I think I think you're you're, you're right though. Uh, you're correct in saying, look, that should be made available because, yeah, the checks are already there. Austin, thank you so much. Your program with your dad, three to four Eastern, correct? Yeah, three to four Eastern. You can listen to it at healthmasters.com Monday through Friday. Perfect. My friend, thank you so much for your time and your insight. That's Somalia. We're going to keep our eyes on uh, what's going on in Africa. Thank you for that. Thank you for letting us know about that. Absolutely, guys. It's been a pleasure being on with you. You guys have a great rest of the show and an awesome night. All right, brother. You have a great night, too. Thanks for coming on. We'll be right back with John Rappaport after this. Greenovative. Go to HagmanReport.com. Click on the link to Greenovative. What Greenovative is, it's a small company in Florida. They created something called the GMAG Power Cell. It produces electricity by adding salt water to this unit that recharges rechargeable batteries. It's the coolest thing you'll ever see in your life. It's really neat. Really a, a super device. All right? You need just two teaspoons of ordinary table salt, a little water, but a bang, you're charging your rechargeable batteries. Super GMAG chargeable is affordable. It's lightweight, weighs about 8 ounces. It's durable. It's EMP proof. And it's environmentally friendly. Yeah, that it is. It'll provide safe and convenient power for recharging uh, six AA batteries off the grid when other power sources aren't available anywhere, anytime, in any weather, day or night. Go to greenovative.com. That's greenovative.com. Folks, in these uncertain times, it just makes sense to have a sustainable backup method for accomplishing one of life's most important tasks, that's preparing food. This is the way to go. There is nothing better than a Minuteman rocket stove from MinutemanStove.com. We all need a way to cook and a method to process water. I mean, think about it. Think about the many things that could happen to you. Minuteman rocket stove can provide your family or group the perfect solution. It's small, lightweight, wood-burning, and every bit as powerful as a kitchen stove. It's smoke fully self-contained for clean storage and transport. Because it's so efficient, it cuts down on your wood gathering and processing chores to a tenth what would be required if cooking the old-fashioned way over an open fire. So don't rely on gas or fuel stoves. Prepare your family. Prepare for yourself. Order a Minuteman rocket stove today. It's going to make bad times much better. Folks, MinutemanStove.com. MinutemanStove.com. Need I say more? You should have a Minuteman, the survival stove in an M.O.K. 
For investors, timberland has become the symbol of safety. Global tropical timber demand continues to surge as the world's population increases. The need for managed, sustainable timber production forests has never been greater. When stock markets crash, trees keep growing. Direct ownership of fully managed tropical timberland acreage is now available to accredited investors. Prime, valuable hardwood groves close to the beautiful Costa Rican border generate and maintain superior long-term wealth. Consider visiting our forest plantations. Qualified accredited investors should go to PreciousTimberProfits.com or dial 855-888-6288 for more information. Call 855-888-6288 or visit PreciousTimberProfits.com. This announcement does not constitute either an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offering made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288, PreciousTimberProfits.com, PreciousTimberProfits.com. gentleman who is has been a citizen journalist longer than that phrase has been in existence, a man whose research and investigative work product I, I respect, a guy who knows, who's got his finger on the pulse of what's taking place domestically, geopolitically, and a gentleman that's got some of the, the most uh, precious, in my view, uh, resources, including the Matrix Revealed package. If you go to nomorefakenews.com, that's nomorefakenews.com, the real news, John Rappaport. Folks, take advantage of the information that's contained on that website and also the Matrix Revealed, what a, what a product as well as, uh, all of, really all of the products, including, uh, Escape from the, uh, or Exit from the, uh, Matrix. Power outside of the outside the matrix and such, but the matrix revealed is one of the. Uh, to me, that's like really a, a, a great package. John Rappaport is our guest. Going to get to him just in one moment. You know, we talked about things taking place. Talked about preparation. One area that I think, folks, that you need to be prepared, and where you need to be prepared, is self help remedies such as, well. Go to tradingpostinthewoods.com. That's tradingpostinthewoods.com. They have a simple survival's uh, American Heritage Remedies Kit that they created just for our listeners. Tradingpostinthewoods.com. If you if you are not prepared for any kind of oh what would, what would it be physical ailment from the common cold to a sinus infection to I mean a cut a, a wound. Go to tradingpostinthewoods.com if you're, because if you're not prepared for that, you're really not prepared. You might have all the food and water and such, but Trading Post in the Woods has got some unique products. It's the old time Trading Post flavor, if you will. They've got some of the best. They, they have, uh, they've got the best products. They work. Go to tradingpostinthewoods.com and take advantage. American Heritage Remedies Kit made especially for you, our listeners of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Again, tradingpostinthewoods.com, tradingpostinthewoods.com. Let's get right to John Rappaport, nomorefakenews.com. John Rappaport, glad to have you, sir. Good to be here as always. I'll tell you something. The headlines are coming fast and furious in North Korea. You had some observations. We were just 
talking, discussing brief, briefly during the break about North Korea. Something my wife said to me, and uh, you can expand on this. She uh, she said, you know, don't you find it kind of funny? And, and it, how do you explain, for example, North Korea was kind of a quiet little, they were a nuisance, a, a pest, but all of a sudden that whole thing has kind of exploded, pardon the pun. And uh, we were t- we were kind of musing about the uh, about that whole situation. You said the same thing, and that kind of I thought, wow, he must have been talking to my wife. <laughs> What's going on here? Yeah, that's a good question. All of a sudden, we have Syria, we have North Korea, crisis, ships heading there, a missile test. Failure of the missile test. Is this an operation to try to trap Trump into crisis mode? Mm. Everything has to be solved now. It's all about, uh, you know, security of the United States by taking actions abroad. We saw what I consider to be a very dubious report out of Syria about the so-called chemical attack launched by President Assad on his own people made no sense to me. I wrote a piece this week about top ten reasons to doubt that story, which became, of course, a pretext for Trump to suddenly launch uh, a bunch of missiles at an abandoned runway and uh, to up the tension, you know, and then, oh, wait wait a minute, there's North Korea, hold on, they're, they're going to do a test too. Is that what this is? An attempt to, by neocons and so forth, to trap him into becoming a military president, a wartime president, a crisis president, foreign interventions, etc., etc., like many other presidents. So, That's my first thought. We know from previous reports, there have been a couple of, more than a couple of odd reports in past years, let's say the last six or seven years out of North Korea. One, that in televised parades showing their missiles, some analysts, including U.S. military analysts, have questioned whether or not these missiles are real or whether they're for show whether they're mock-ups whether they're uh, old missiles that don't really work uh, that's uh, perplexing and somewhat troubling and then we had an incident I'm going to say seven years ago where a North Korean ship was accused of sinking a South Korean ship with a torpedo and again some analysts looking at the t- torpedo that the North Koreans used decided that it wasn't really part of their stock, that it wasn't a North Korean torpedo so again we have these pieces of uh, dubious evidence that have been presented to uh, emphasize the dire threat of North Korea are these is this real or are we being drawn into a situation that does not require urgent military action 
You know, the sinking of the ship that you mentioned, I just want to just want to remind people that happened in March of 2010. So it's been uh, seven years ago, um, 26th of March, 2010. And, and that was, it claimed, I believe, I think 100 and, 104, uh, lives. Um, and, and you're right, there were some, there were some issues with respect to that, some questions about that. Now, uh, as to your comment about the missiles, the news footage showing that one Catawampus nose cone. I don't know whether you, I'm sure you saw that. Right. No. So it does, it does kind of makes, make us wonder, make people wonder if they're just not paper mache type things, you know, mock-ups as you say, or if they're for real. And, and it, apparently, uh, look, I don't know military armaments. Apparently there were some questions as to, uh, the utility of those, uh, newer, never before seen missiles there, whether they were kind of Frankenstein missiles, if you will. Um, made with uh, different parts, and if if they were even, you know, if they were even uh, useful or could be used. So it's really interesting. You're right. But on the gas yeah. attack uh, in Syria, there have been some people that have kind of come out uh, against what the administration and government is claiming. The, recently, there is a Theodore uh, Postal. He's an, an MIT expert, and he goes on to, to claim that the chemical weapons attack in Syria was staged and he points to different pieces of evidence um, starting with the the areas of impact where they say that the um, chemical weapons were launched from, dropped from a plane well he points to evidence of how it looked like um, they were already on the on the ground and were um, either hit with a he, he even argues that it wasn't even a projectile from the plane that somebody on the ground had to open these canisters from the way that it it was done, and he, he was one of the first ones to point out in 2013 that the attacks, uh, chemical weapons attacks, were not Assad, but instead the rebel forces, and that proved to be true. And he believes that uh, Trump is being given uh, faulty information when it comes to Yeah, Syria. in his first report, Postal, uh, which I wrote about it, uh, he said, look at the photo of this supposed canister of uh, sarin gas. In a crater. This was, you know, the recent episode. And he said, if you look at it, you can see that it's crushed from above as it's embedded there in the crater. So how did that happen? If you drop a canister out of a plane and it lands, why is it suddenly crushed from above? I mean, it's possible that it bounces and turns over and so forth, but it definitely raises a question if you look at that photo. Why is it shaped in the way that it is? And he, you know, as you point out, goes on to analyze other aspects of this. Uh, I mean, certainly one of these is it looked like, mainly through Russian action, that the the war against ISIS, shall we call it, in Syria was winding down and ISIS was being defeated and it was almost time for peace negotiations to take place. And this is the moment that Assad decides to actually, you know, lose every gain that he's made in the eyes of uh, other nations uh, by gassing his own people. I mean, this doesn't make any sense. But, if you put it in the context of, well, there are people inside 
even Trump's administration, but certainly holdovers from many past administrations. And you've got military contractors, the military industrial complex, et cetera, et cetera, who want war. They live off of war. That is what they need and what they want. It would certainly be in their best interests to provoke war and to block any negotiations that might create peace in Syria, especially if they would keep Assad in office and end the complete chaos that has been engulfing Syria. So you have that aspect of the whole thing. And to me, that provides us with yet another reason why the press has been so diabolical and uh, insane for the last uh, six 12 months about attacking Russia not only to try to delegitimize Trump's presidency but also because Russia was providing most of the support that was pointing toward an end of the war in Syria and so Trump was talking about well you know why don't I sit down with Putin we'll talk about it we'll help each other we'll arrive at peace in Syria this is the kind of thing that Trump was saying four or five months ago, six months ago. Now the tune has completely changed. Another reason to doubt this whole scenario in Syria. Mm. Okay. And with respect to President Trump, is he, it almost seems schizophrenic in terms of his policy compared to what's going on with uh, President Trump. I mean, is he is he being compromised? Is he giving into the weight of the military? Is there what's going on with that? Well, there are several possible scenarios. I would say one is he has definitely been affected by all the generals around him that he's appointed. He's also been given intelligence reports, which of course every president is given on a daily basis and instead of you know it's one thing to say well the CIA is lying when they say that uh, I was cooperating in any way with Russia or that Putin influenced the election on my part Uh, you know he has criticized the intelligence community pretty solidly for quite some time now but it's a different thing when these same people come into his office with charts and graphs and photos and reports saying a gas attack has suddenly occurred and we know it was President Assad who did it and this is the most heinous kind of thing and you have to take action Uh, remember that Obama did not take decisive action and you now have a chance to remedy that and you must well to stand up against that and say you're all wrong I want to see more evidence uh, you know that's much harder for a president this is the way a president gets trapped and the result of that trapping if that's what occurred is that he has become schizophrenic now he was going to be the peacetime president he was going to build up military defense at home 
No more foreign adventurism, no more U.S. empire, no more being the cop, the policeman for the world. He made that very clear during his campaign, and a whole lot of people voted for him on that basis, especially people who had once backed Ron Paul, who had maybe the most definitive statements of any American politician in the last, I don't know how many years, on the subject of, True. you know, this uh, U.S. as the cop for the world. And now... Trump seems to have headed off in a different direction here. So that is, to me, schizoid. I mean, he has said that he has no plans to go in there with ground troops and get involved in a war after the initial missile attack. But he's also said that he reserves the right to attack Syria again. Planes. And there are reports that there are more troops on the ground in that area, U.S. troops. So it appears schizophrenic to me. John, uh, the Turkey issue, the the uh, uh, ch- the change of the structure of the leadership in Turkey with Erdogan making him essentially the dictator, the head of the parliament and everything in Turkey. How does that factor in here? Because one would think that, and correct me if I'm wrong, doesn't Turkey have its sights on Syria, uh, bringing it into, folding it into the caliphate that they're, the Ottoman Empire that they're trying to recreate. Does that have anything to do with anything, or is that kind of an outlier with respect to this conversation? No, I think it might have something serious to do with this. I'm not uh, certainly an expert on Turkey, but I agree with you that this could be involved. And, of course, he is holding over the head of all of Europe the threat of exporting untold numbers of, quote, migrants, refugees, whatever you want to call them, into Europe if Europe doesn't play ball with him and do what he wants them to do. So this is like an ongoing piece of extortion, really, that he's working here. Mm. There are many moving parts here, because then Europe under threat is going to naturally appeal to the U.S. and say, uh, you know, we have to get Assad out of there, because the president of Turkey wants us to do that. (laughs) You know, then, you you know, everything is now... Interlocking. This is exactly, I mean, you can go back to the beginning of the Republic. This is what George Washington warned against in his farewell address. Avoid entangling foreign alliances. And he kept emphasizing that over and over, that no good will come from this. Only bad things can result. Once you stick your nose into these kinds of uh, traps that nations set for each other, and you begin to take sides. It doesn't matter whether you say it's in the U.S. best interests or not. Nothing good can come of it, only misery and and the sense of entanglement, which is exactly the way Washington put it. And this is what Trump, in his own way, was saying, we're not going to do this. This is not going to happen. We're not interested in globalism. We want to go back home. We want to stay at home. We want to be America. We want to be stronger, more prosperous, more jobs, more uh, 
self-sufficiency uh, vet immigrants uh, no more open borders we want to solve the infrastructure problem in America we want to put people back to work etc etc all nationalism not globalism mm. and now with North Korea with Syria and of course with the political left and neocons and the mainstream press heaping praise on his head for the missile strike in Syria. Now he's finally become president and all of that kind of rhetoric. Um, we've reached a, a, a danger point early on here where he could, Trump could become, as you say, a schizoid president. Hmm. Um, John, I got to question for you with all this action Trump has been taking you know there was a lot in the news much of it unfounded before the the chemical weapons attack and the Syria strike from the Susan Rice unmasking story to the ramping up again of the Russian election hacking slash collusion slash whatever else however else you want to title it I mean when the Susan Rice thing came out they seemed they seemed to, to revert right back to the the Russian story and then all of a sudden, we have the, the chemical weapons attack, the Syrian strike. Then it's been North Korea. We haven't heard anything else about Susan Rice. We uh, Maybe some uh, CNN, MSNBC mentions Russia here or there, or individual hosts do, but it's not a major storyline anymore. Do you think there's any possibility that maybe Trump took some actions to get the press off his back, change the narrative? Could he have made a deal saying, you know, I'll allow this to happen or I'll okay this if, if you guys do this? What do you think happened with, uh, I mean, as you said, the press has been heaping praise on Trump for his Syrian actions, which makes me very suspicious. But uh, yeah. do you think they worked something out or made some kind of deal? Uh, what happened there? I don't know that they made a deal. I'm not sure I would go that far, but I agree with you that these latest, uh, you know, North Korea, Syria. Okay, the Susan Rice story suddenly disappears. In my experience, sometimes these operations are launched, at least in part, as a distraction from a story that's very uncomfortable for the mainstream press and for the government and so forth. And these operations, like we're seeing in Syria and North Korea, are overt attempts or covert attempts really to take the attention of the public away from a very hot story that could be very damaging and sometimes these crises or fake crises come from other avenues, other people other vectors and the press just uses them as an opportunity. Oh, let's drop the Susan Rice story. We don't care about that anymore. We never really did. That was all a hoax anyway. It's not important, so the word goes out to reporters. We're not interested in covering this anymore. We don't care. Because it really was a very hot story. I mean, they had her pinned to the wall. Yeah. With the idea that, uh, that, uh, we're not going to let you uh, slip off the hook with this idea that it was incidental surveillance, that it was it really only incidentally caught up Trump associates talking on the phone with foreign leaders or people, you know, all of that. No, this was obviously exactly what Trump said it was. Uh, 
that the Obama administration were, quote, wiretapping him. That's what they were doing. That was the the prize for them, was to get information. During the campaign itself and in the transition between the election and the inauguration. So, to me, the press has used this opportunity, North Korea and Syria, to bury the Susan Rice story, never to be heard from again, unless something else pops up out of the hopper. But I agree with you. I mean, this was a story that was starting to develop real legs, Mm -hmm. where the denials about her involvement even added fuel to the fire of how ridiculous it was to pretend that she didn't really have anything to do with this when she obviously did. The the argument there, John, that that I was seeing as it was developing before it disappeared was, well, even if she did do that with with the unmasking, she didn't do anything wrong. It was in the best interest of the United States, and I find that pretty, uh, pretty, pretty capricious. Uh. <laughs> yeah, to say the least, because uh, in the best interest of the United States, the press had reached the point where, to them, they were promoting the idea that if anybody connected with Trump was talking on the phone to anybody in another country, they were committing treason. You know, right. for any reason. It didn't have to explain it. Somebody from Russia was talking with somebody, you know, that's a Trump or something. Well, that's just proof that they're colluding and they're traitors and treasonous. I mean, it was building to that point. It was pretty much reached that point already. So the Susan Rice thing was just some extreme confirmation there. And you're absolutely right. The press was trying to emphasize, well, it doesn't matter how this was leaked and so forth. But the other part of that story was that she also leaked or had other people leak for her the names of the Trump associates on those phone calls to the press. Now, that's a felony. Yeah. That's because these are confidential intelligence reports. You can't, without some kind of national security justification, and even then, leaking the names to the press, that can get you jail time. Yeah, unless, of course, you're Susan Rice or working under the umbrella of the Obama-Hillary uh, camp, and then apparently no holds barred, everything goes. Um, interesting. Interesting indeed. Joe? Uh, John, we're coming up against our, our break um, folks, we're talking with John Rappaport of nomorefakenews.com. That's nomorefakenews.com. For those of you watching on YouTube, there is the uh, screenshot or the, the live site of, of John, John Rappaport's site, nomorefakenews.com. And uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and he's going to be with us till the end of the hour, and we're going to be covering a lot more on the other side. Um, it's definitely an, a very interesting time for news and news analysis, trying to decipher what is real, if anything, what's propaganda, you know, what's being placed there to distract. There's so much going on. Oh, I want to ask him about freedom, freedom of spear, the free speech that's under attack uh, coming out. And I really kind of want to get his idea on that, take on that. Yeah, Absolutely. We should, yeah, we should definitely go there because, uh, you know, things are, are happening to our rights and, and our way of life 
while we're following all these other distractions and stories, and it's happening right under our nose, and, and sometimes we don't even get to cover it. Folks, we're talking with John Rappaport. We'll be back with John after these short messages. Don't go anywhere. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's a, It's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Yeah, folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family. Masterpreps.com. I mean, wow. It's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Caring Close in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% of our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Journeys kit at www.changewithwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. You can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. citizen journalist before that phrase was even invented uh he's got a background 30 years three decades of uh investigation and uh, journalist experience he is the 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 
really the gold standard by which other journalists, I think, are, uh, they aspire. Um, Mr. Rappaport gets into the depths of the, what's behind the headlines. No more fake news.com is his website. Uh, folks, before we get back to, uh, to John, I just want to thank Ready Made Resources. Folks, have you gone to Ready Made Resources yet? Have you gone to their website, Night Vision? All of the preparation equipment, the, the night vision equipment that they've got, the, uh, uh, the communication gear that they've got. They are, they are the, the, the premier prep website. That's Ready Made Resources. And we heard from, uh, Robert Griswold here not too long ago. Uh, folks, I would urge everyone to visit Ready Made Resources. That's readymaderesources.com. They've got, from there you can get onto their forums. You can, I, I mean, what a resource. No pun intended. Uh, we have before us. And I just want to say thank you to Robert Griswold for all that he is, uh, providing our listeners. Visit ready-made resources on the internet. Just go to hagmanreport.com, click on the link. You know, John Rappaport, I just want to say thank you so much for your insight, analysis, and, uh, bringing forth the information. We were talking before the break about, uh, uh, just about well, about Susan Rice and about what what happened with her. You had mentioned during the break about Cheryl Atkinson. Basically, when incidental intel collection isn't really incidental, and what presidents can and can't do, compared to what we're hearing on the in the mainstream media. Let's get into that a little bit, based on your findings and and such. Yeah. <clears throat> Of course, Cheryl Atkinson was a star investigative reporter for CBS News for a number of years, and she resigned. Her computers, home and work, were being hacked. This was even acknowledged by CBS. They had independent investigators in there trying to figure out who was doing the hacking. And uh, the evidence was pointing toward government entities because she was covering very sensitive stories like uh, Benghazi, Fast and Furious, the swine flu uh, hoax of the CDC and other stories. Anyway, I won't get into all of that, but she now has her independent website, com. She recently spoke, as she's written, with several reliable intel sources, U.S. intel sources. And one of the things they told her was, look, the president has the capability. We're not talking about what's legal and what isn't legal and so forth, but the president can order surveillance operations. And what's implied in these quotes is, and other types of operations, without anybody knowing about it without using any of the court system to get warrants or or anything. And she can enlist, so to speak, or appoint or get people, obviously from the intelligence community, to do these surveillance operations on anybody. And he can promise these people immunity from prosecution if the operation is ever discovered. And these people are permitted to lie and say that they were never involved in the operation, that all of this is understood up front. 
the implication being that presidents have done this and do this. This is not uh, some sort, again, this is not some sort of kind of program, you know, or system or law that permits any of this. This is the way things are, okay? Which I found pretty compelling, rather astonishing to see it admitted finally. Because look at what a president can do. I mean, he can say national security, but it really it could be he wants revenge on somebody. He wants to advance his uh, re-election chances or his own political party. Uh, he's committed a crime and he wants to cover it up. I mean, anything you can think of could be a reason to mount a serious surveillance operation. Well, what are we talking about in the Susan Rice case? We're talking about an obvious operation to spy on Trump associates during the campaign, during the transition period, to accumulate information that could be used against them, against Trump, against a Trump administration, that could be used uh, to try to defeat Trump in the election. And this could have been authorized and initiated from the top of the food chain at that time, could have been by the president. Pretty, pretty, pretty yeah. amazing stuff. Yeah, it is. And I have uh, just uh, for how long uh, we've been doing this, which is not that long, uh, since 2011 on air, I, in my mind, I have no doubt that this was a, from the president and up, um, you know, request for, um, one of two reasons that, you know, one thing that we didn't cover with, with the Trump and all the things that have been going on is his, um, schizophrenia, if you will, is the, uh, blackmail subject. We hear a lot about how politicians are blackmailed, um, by some of these intelligence agencies for things that they have done or made to appear to look like they have, have been involved in. And, you know, that's one possibility why we could see the about face on Trump. There could be things that have been uh, manufactured. There could be evidence of that manufactured on a number of different ways. Um, and he could be being blackmailed. At the same time, back to the the um, the ability of presidents to uh, use this, this power from the NSA to the CIA, these intelligence agencies, for their own personal and, and political, personal political agendas is downright scary. And I think, you know, for the last 20 years that we've crossed over into that, you know, especially with Bill Clinton, at least this is, and I haven't really looked, you know, back too far with administrations before that, but the Clinton body count is one thing that we talked about on the show a lot and have talked about a lot in the past. And when you look, maybe not all those are attributed to the Clintons, you know, from the, from the list, but there definitely is something there. And, oh yeah, I would agree for sure. I mean, these people play for keeps. I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I don't know. Um, it, it's a very uh, troubling situation when you see what people who pose a threat by bringing the well, truth out are up against. Yeah, and speaking of that, uh, John, have you have you looked into the uh, murder of Seth Rich at all in the context of uh, the? Hillary Clinton slash DNC um, Clinton Foundation. 
I haven't looked into it uh, as deeply as I would have if I had uh, more time and resources, but I certainly know a few things that uh, I hope people understand. First of all, WikiLeaks, Julian Assange, offered a $20,000 reward for information leading to the person who killed Seth, who Mm -hmm. was working for the Democratic National Committee. Why would Assange do that? To me, it's fairly obvious that he was one of WikiLeaks' sources. I don't know if he was the only source, but to me, it signals that he was one of the sources who was leaking the emails out of the DNC to WikiLeaks, who then published them. And given that that's the case, uh, the fact that he was murdered and there was no theft, yeah, makes sense to me that this is called silencing somebody that we want to silence. Retaliation. Exactly. You know, I mean, that's where an investigation, a real investigation should go in that direction. I mean, it's, you know, in the news business, finding a smoking gun, a real smoking gun, is not always possible. In fact, many times it's not. You have to put together a circumstantial case. And in this situation, I would say the circumstantial case is certainly strong, and it certainly implies the need for a much deeper investigation here because those leaks out of WikiLeaks were definitely damaging to Hillary Clinton. No question about it. And, of course, they were called hacks, not leaks. Oh, the Russians did it, and then they fed it to WikiLeaks, and WikiLeaks released it, and all this kind of absurdity. When the obvious inference was, no, these were leaked by somebody on the inside, somebody like, like Seth. Uh, Exactly. And it's, I'm amazed. I I shouldn't be amazed. I'm, I'm, I'm uh, grateful that you're able to address, for example, the the murder of Seth Rich. Uh, folks, no notes. I mean, this is no script. No, no, I mean, this is just, Point blank, um, Q and A, so to speak, and it's just it's great because this shows the the investigative and journalistic prowess of our guest John Rappaport. No more fake news, no more fake news. dot com is his website. Um, visit that. We visit his website, of course. Take advantage of take advantage of the uh, products that he has. The Matrix revealed. That my goodness, exit from the Matrix. Great products as well as additional products. Check them out. But uh, again, the man that's uh, I, I believe the original and uh, grandfather uh, of citizen journalism, John Rappaport. John, uh, uh, I, I know this is kind of going all over the place, but let me ask you one other question here because I've gotten emails in the last couple of weeks, well, days really. Uh, the, the whole mess with with Pedogate, I know 100% sure based on my sources, look, this is a hundred percent accurate. There's, there's obvious. Uh, there exists smoking gun evidence in terms of um, computer, forensic computer 
evidence. I'll just leave it at that. Mm-hmm. The question is, why haven't there been any high-profile arrests under Jeff Sessions to this point? Or do we should we should we just give him time, more time? <clears throat> and I'm saying high-profile, not not at the periphery, yeah. but high-profile. Yeah, I understand. Well, my take on this is, yeah, uh, these networks are real, no question about it. Blowing it open, which is what would happen if you made a couple of arrests of high-profile people, really high-profile people. Now, it's like you planted uh, dynamite inside a mountain and you just blew it up. Because it isn't going to stop there. Hmm. You know, it's like these cases, there have been a few of them. Washington, D.C., Madam, yeah. with her little black book, yep, and all the high-profile Johns and all this and all this. Well, when do we get to see the black book? <laughs> Somehow, with all of the stories and the roiling and the, oh, my God, and this and that, we never get to see the list of the Johns and the clients worldwide. It's the same type of situation because if that happened then it just doesn't end people start rolling over on each other well I wanted to you know I'm not going to jail I this is something I can't but you know I'm I wouldn't survive in jail uh, well let's make a deal okay whatever you need whatever you want all right who else was involved well, Congressman so-and-so and Senator so-and-so and, you know, the publisher of this newspaper. So, here we go. Mm-hmm. Here we go. This is why, to me, the lid is kept on and why uh, I think it was, I'm going to try to remember here, was it William Colby who told John DeCamp, his friend? Oh, yes, yes, yes. Who wrote the Franklin cover-up, John, there's some things you just can't, go any further with DeCamp had exposed I mean talk about smoking guns the Franklin cover up yep. the satanic uh, pedophile whatever you want to call it using children for sex and destruction by high profile politicians and uh, you know charities involved and so forth and so on way before Penn State or Jerry Sandusky or any of that DeCamp wrote the book on it, and he tried to get justice for the victims in Washington. There's a pretty good documentary that a British uh, company did. You can find it on YouTube. And that, you know, eventually you run up against a brick wall. State legislature in Nebraska, in Washington, you know, the investigation gets to a certain point, and then it just hits a brick wall. And Colby said to his friend John DeCamp, you know, there's just... You're going to have to accept it, John. You can't go any further with this. There are some things you cannot uncover completely. They will stop you. They will stop you. It won't happen. Because the people are so powerful who would be exposed that they can shut down an investigation. And the worst thing you want to have happen in a situation like that is to get caught and squeezed in the middle where either you're a reporter or some kind of a press outlet or a government uh, prosecutor, investigators, who are trying to uncover the whole story, 
and you don't have enough backing and resources and uh, protection, it's not going to happen. So you're not, you don't see any promise in uh, really getting forward movement on any prosecution of the more uh, uh, insidious, uh, satanic, uh, pedophilia type activities within the powers, within the halls of power. You're not, you're not optimistic, I, I take it. I'm not, but I'm willing to think that the groundswell of commentary, research, and investigation that's happening in independent media about pedophile networks around the world could make something happen that's unprecedented and unpredictable. You never know. You just never know. True. Uh, that hasn't existed before. When John DeCamp wrote his book, I mean, he was just sitting out there alone with a, one or two investigators helping him, one of whom was murdered. In the plane, right? In the, the plane. Yeah, yeah. He was a PI. Yeah. Uh, you're right. Him and his son. That's right. But now, you know, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of independent media, uh, operations going and, and wonderful that there are because now it's a whole new game. Nobody can say with finality, this is as far as it's, this investigation is ever going to go. You never know. To me, this is one of the great wild cards that the, the power structure in this country and other countries, you look at it and you say, boy, it's so interlocking and one hand is washing the other and you got the media and the government and you got players above the government like the Trilateral Commission, et cetera, et cetera. And I mean, wow, how are you going to do any? And then all of a sudden, the Internet is created. And lo and behold, thousands and thousands of people, as if they've had manuscripts, you know, sitting in their garage for decades, <laughs> are suddenly publishing like crazy on the internet. Yep. Unstoppable flood of information. So, that's a biggie to me. And, and John, isn't it interesting? And this is kind of what I wanted to ask you. And, and um, we began the program this way. Isn't it interesting that just with the rise of the citizen journalists, and, and you had mentioned it, uh, so many out there uh, exposing so much, and, and there's a lot of great citizen journalists that that are giving a lot of, doing a lot of independent research, publishing this information. Then suddenly, as they are um, financing their research through revenue generating ads on YouTube. All of a sudden, YouTube comes in at the behest of the uh, Times of London and Washington or uh, Wall Street Journal. YouTube comes in and and just wipes that revenue out completely. Mm-hmm. And, and so so now we're seeing a censorship by uh well, backdoor censorship. We're not going to, you know, where you are covering your expenses and Growing and such, we're not going to allow that anymore. We're going to take that that revenue stream from you, and we're seeing this happen today. I just find it not very coincidental uh, when you look at, for example, Pedogate. You look at the well, e- even your work, um, and I well, I say even your work, uh, where you know 
necessarily derive income or rely on income from YouTube, whereas other citizen journalists in that specific area do. I, I don't think this is by by accident or coincidental, and I think it's going to get worse too in terms of the censorship. Any so do I. On that? Okay. Yeah. So do I. Absolutely, it's not. Uh, it's far from incidental. This is obviously an attempt to shut down these independent voices. The the social media, you know, Google, Facebook, YouTube, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, it was it was right out in the open. I don't know five months ago, mainstream articles about this. Yep. The New York Times, Washington Post, the television uh, news networks, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, were feeling, you know, their their financial distress, <laughs> which has been considerable, as they've been losing viewers and losing readers and so forth, and debt piling up and so on. And they realized that more powerful than they were is social media. Social media has taken over from major media news. (laughs) So the operation became, okay, well, we have to go to these people and get them to help us eliminate the competition, our competition, which is independent news. We've got to do that. For starters, there's other things we have to do. But we have to get the, the Facebooks, the YouTubes, Googles, etc., to help us because they're more powerful now than we are, and so we want to enlist their help. Knock out the competition. Put us back on top again. And uh, and we'll preserve the consensus that we create every day, the fake consensus. Wow. And that's what's happening. I mean, so there's a, there's a one shot out of the box. Okay, so we're going to demonetize, as they say, all these YouTube videos. I did an interview um, recently, and somebody put up the YouTube video with my name in the title, and it was demonetized. You know, yeah. just like oh, yeah. that. And he has other YouTube videos that haven't been, and there's no particular pattern. He's had other people on his show six times, for example, one researcher, three of his YouTube videos demonetized, three others not. You've got these people with their crazy algorithms and their word searches and who knows what else to try to figure out what do we want to demonetize. And so it's... In some cases, it's like scattershot. You don't know where it's going to land. In other cases, they target specific people specifically. But that's what they're doing. In my experience, John, if it makes you feel any better or worse, in my experience, if your name, your name is in the title uh, or in the tags or even in the first line of the description, forget about it, to coin a phrase from... Uh, uh, the movie, yeah, it's just it's just not going to happen in terms of generating revenue, and that's the same with others. And I could name them off, but since you you know we're talking at this point, so, so there is this aversion to truth. But so there's two reasons I'm hearing a couple of reasons, or more than one. One is the revenue for the mainstream media, the old print uh, media, as well as the the, the uh, television and, and radio media. And then, of course, there's the motivation to suppress the truth. So it's financial and, of course, content. 
Yeah. And I don't right. see this guy. You know what? I don't see this coming back and, uh, at all. And, and you, I know you talked about this before. It, does the, what Obama did with the, uh, internet, the ICANN uh, registration and such, does this have anything to do with, does that have anything to do with what we're seeing now? Is it more of a, more of a suppressed environment because of Obama letting go of the uh, control of the ICANN registration? You know, I haven't really delved into that too deeply, but from what little I know about it, I would say yes, that that is one of the moves in the same direction that we're talking about here. Uh, suffice to say, the amount of suppression would have to be extreme to shut down independent media on the Internet, to really shut it down. Sure. Yeah, the, 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 there you can shut down some people by demonetizing them, shutting them off from revenue in various, you know, like YouTube and Google Ads and so forth. But to actually say you can't have a website, you can't publish, you can't have a blog to thousands and thousands of independent Reporters, investigators, that would really be stepping up the game if it came to that. Wow, if it yeah. came to that. Yeah, and I'm not so sort of sure we're going to see that anytime soon, but certainly there's the other aspect of lawfare. You know, hey, you publish this, uh, we're just going to create a nuisance suit against you. I mean, that, that's one thing. And there are other tactics as well, but, but boy, I'll tell you, it was great to visit with the statesman and elder statesman of citizen <laughs> journalism. Uh, it's always great to talk to you. I, you know, sometime I have to sit down on on one of these shows and just interview you because I know you are a fountain of information. Oh, you're too kind, my friend. Hey, uh, we're out of time. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for spending your time with us tonight, and uh, God bless you. And we're, you're going to be in our thoughts and prayers, and keep on. Thank you so much. Right. It's always great to be here. That was John Rappaport, nomorefakenews.com. When we come back, Stan Deo from standeo.com will be with us. Don't go anywhere. Just what kind of thriller predicts the future? In three days in the belly of the beast, Daniel Holdings wrote about the God Particle before CERN actually discovered the God Particle. In As the Darkness Falls, Daniel wrote about an Islamist terrorist confederacy that rose up out of Syria and declared a caliphate three years before ISIS was ever heard of. In his newest novel, Between the Veil, Daniel talks about a space between dimensions where supernatural beings can walk. He says that these novels are a warning from the Creator to His creation. Will war come to America? Will the world's economies collapse? Are we looking at increased earthquakes and volcanic activity? Will the United States fall into civil war? You can find all of Daniel's work at his website, DanielHoldings.com. That's DanielHoldings.com. All of these things and more are talked about in Daniel's books. To find out what's coming next, go to DanielHoldings.com. 
Worldwide demand is making coconuts one of the highest yielding cash crops available today. Coca-Cola, Pepsi, and many high net worth individuals have invested billions of dollars into coconuts for strong growth and solid long-term income. Yields could be as high as 18% or more per year. Capital appreciation and exceptional income for up to 60 long years would be an absolutely brilliant investment to pass on to future generations. Diversify wisely with direct ownership of fully managed coconuts on prime farmland close to the beautiful Costa Rican border. For more information, qualified accredited investors should go to ProfitsInCoconuts.com or phone 855-888-6288. That's 855-888-6288. This announcement does not constitute an offer to sell securities or a solicitation of an offer to purchase. Offer made by prospectus only. 855-888-6288 or visit ProfitsInCoconuts.com. ProfitsInCoconuts.com. You may never look at your city, town, or its people the same way ever again. Stained by Blood, a murder investigation based upon a true story by private investigator Douglas J. Hagman. Using the character Mark Stiles, Hagman takes you on a journey behind the scenes where the homicide becomes a secondary to an underworld of satanic ritual abuse, child abduction, and even mind-controlled experimentation. For five years, a brutal killer remained on the loose, free to kill again. As Mark struggles to navigate the maze of bizarre twists and untangle a web of deeply hidden secrets kept by some of the most powerful and influential people in this community and beyond. Stain by Blood. Order your copy of this engaging novel today at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood at HagmanandHagman.com and click on the link. Stain by Blood. This edition of the Hagman and Hagman Reporter. We so glad to have Stan Dale back with us, standale.com. Um, and you know, let me tell you, Stan Dale is giving away 10 copies of, um, in a drawing of his, uh, lecture and interview lecture series, Garden of Eden, Finding the Garden of Eden. I watched this DVD. Okay. 10, he's giving away 10 free copies. Now, you, you have to go to the website, go to standeo.com, go to show images and follow the instructions. But the, this, a, a more compelling video presentation, I don't think you'll find with respect to Garden of Eden and a more thought provoking presentation. So, and even, here's what I would do, even though I have got a chance to win, I would buy my own because this is a fabulous top notch presentation. That is, uh, that he's got his lecture series. Get them all. Standale.com. Before we get to Stan, I want to mention, um, we have seats are going quickly to Awaken to the Shaken Conference, May 5th and 6th. We're about, what, 17, 18 days away from that. That's going to be in Gurney, Illinois. Pastor Paul Bigley is going to be, um, he's going to be heading that. We have Russ Dizdar, John Robertson, Joe, myself, uh, Pastor Paul Bigley. Speaking at this conference, Awaken to the Shaken Conference, May 5th and 6th, Gurney, Illinois. Go to, uh, paulbigleyprophecy.com. Click on the link to, uh, to register. Registration is free. The cost of the conference, it's free. Uh, just to give you a heads up, 
I'll be talking about two two topics. Number one is Pedagate, and number two, and I just uh, um, I just decided to managed to get this out today, um, establish this today. Islamic infiltration and Islamic terrorist training in America. So two things, the pedogate and the Islamic infiltration and uh, paramilitary training in America. So that's going to be my topics. Joe's got a topic, and John, of course, has got, and Russ, Russ always a crowd pleaser, and of course, Pastor Paul. So I'm going to kick it over to you, Joe, and let's bring on Stan Dale. Uh, awesome, awesome guest and awesome uh, DVD series. Yeah, folks, go to standeo.com each and every Tuesday night. Stan comes on the show. He has, uh, each week he puts together a show images page for the uh, interview on, on Tuesdays he does with us. And uh, we talk about a number of things that he has come across and research or uh, even have been asked by audience members uh, to look into. Stan, it's great to have you back on the show. Good to be back again. Had a nice uh, holiday off last week and did a lot of research on mysterious things in the Middle East and uh, continued my research on Atlanta. All kinds of things happening. Well, talk to us, brother. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, where do you, where do we even start I, with the headlines the way they are from from pole to pole? Well, Man. my idea would be to duck and cover. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't, didn't we do know. that once? I, do, do you remember yeah. doing that? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Back the, the in, thrills. gosh, the 50s, you know, they tell you to get under your desk and cover your head with your hands and never oh, yeah. thought about, you know, the fact that there'd be blowing glass and shockwaves that tear the building down, but everybody felt better. They would uh, duck and cover on the, the practice drills for a nuclear attack. Yeah. Train we, we had to, yeah, we had to go in the hall and line against the, uh, the inner wall of the hall where there are no windows and sit down and put our hands uh, over our heads back in the, that was in the early sixties, I believe it was. So. Well, I was in the service in the Air Force up here at the Academy when we had the Bay of Pigs, um, and the, uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. And, you know, uh, we thought, you know, we got the, the message to stand by because you might not finish your course here, you might go into service immediately. Um, it was an exciting time for young fellows. Uh, now, as I get older and think about the implications of it, it doesn't really excite me that much. <laughs> yeah, uh, um, it's definitely uh, crazy times that we live in. Yeah, look, there. You know, we sent over this uh, carrier group. You know, the Carl Benson, and uh, it's supposed to have been heading for uh, uh, Korea to you know off the south coast of southern uh, Korea to on some kind of an attack on, ostensibly, on uh, North Korea. But uh, instead of heading up in that direction, uh, you know, because it was already down near Australia, it turned around and went the other direction, over into the Indian Ocean and the north part of it, to rendezvous with Australian Navy ships to have a joint, um, you know, warship game. Now, you know, the, the prevailing comments I see on the Internet at the moment are that uh, Trump was... Uh, sending the the Carl Benson out there saying he was going to send it and everybody assumed that it was going to the Korean conflict well it may turn around and go back because we've already heard that there are two other uh, flat tops you know aircraft carrier groups that are heading that way as well which would put three of them in the region now because of the weaponry and the guidance systems and stuff on these flat tops um, they could be in the Indian Ocean at Diego Garcia uh, anchored there having a cup of tea while they launched stuff on North uh, Korea from there. I don't know 
what's going to become of this because the Russians have moved, oh, what, uh, was it 150,000 troops to the border uh, with North Korea? The Chinese have moved the equivalent amount to their border with North Korea. And the question becomes, are they doing that to try to threaten uh, Kim Jong, you know, Dunghead, whatever his name is? Uh, are they doing that to threaten him to stand down and behave himself? Or, you know, China seems to be doing that by uh, turning back uh, coal ships and stuff that... Uh, the North Koreans have been trying to sell to them. So they're trying to look like they're doing an economic embargo. But to me, this is a giant chessboard in play here where the obvious may not be obvious. Um, China and Russia, for a number of years, have had a pact between them, the Sino-Soviet pact, uh, against the United States and the potential hegemony in the world. Now, are, are, are these two countries using North Korea uh, as a point to draw in U.S. naval forces and, you know, three aircraft carrier groups is significant. I mean, the damage those could do uh, is amazing. Are they drawing them into that area so that they can attack them, weaken our defenses, uh, you know, as far as our sea uh, forces, and go ahead and invade the United States? As a number of visions have uh, said, you know, Christians have had visions of that for years. So I'm, I'm really kind of watching for moves that aren't too obvious. They're going to happen quick. I mean, a nuclear war doesn't last for months. It, it's over in a few hours or days. Um, we know that the Chinese and the Russians have both put joint forces together to shadow uh, our uh, flat tops in the area. The three uh, flat top. Uh, you know, uh, groups. Uh, when you've got China and Russia ganged up against you, and I don't know where their submarines are, they've got nuclear submarines that, in, in one submarine that I've seen from the Russians and one from the Chinese, have enough nuclear missiles to hit between 120 and 180 U.S. cities with nuclear bombs. And, you know, this is tense. This is really tense. Um, and we know that that the world order wants to either bring the United States in as a kind of like a, a puppet into the New World Order, or to destroy its ability to, to to break the New World Order. So one way or another, we're in trouble. And I think uh, President Trump knows that, and boy, I'd hate to be sitting in his shoes right now. Really would not know what to do. What do you think? Um, absolutely, I, I agree. I would not want to be in his shoes right now. Um not being the populist candidate, making all those promises, and then having to deal with, you know, the the new world order, the globalism, um, and everything else that goes with it. It's uh, trying to navigate through all that, you know, by yourself or relatively by yourself would be very challenging, be. if not impossible. It's a lonely feeling, I'm sure. They say it's lonely at the top, and in this case, I, I think it's quite easy to understand. You know, my question, why would he even want that position, given the fact that, you know, he was obviously financially comfortable, or at least that's the story, but why even uh, desire for that position, knowing the, uh, or at this point, uh, I, yeah, I, I don't know, I don't know, man, but, but yeah, this, is, so, are, in your, in your view, are we close to nuclear war? I mean, yeah. the headlines, nuclear war can break out at any moment, is that, Yes. Hyperbole? Yes, I think that... so. It, okay. Look, I think it will probably, well, I don't know whether it be North Korea or whether it be over in Syria, but uh, in that region. 
but we are very close to that, and I think we'll have to have a nuke or a couple of nukes dropped somewhere to bring the attention of the people of the world, not so many, not so much the leaders, but the people that we're faced with nuclear annihilation. We better do something. We better get rid of the governments that are doing this, and let's let's see if we can find a global government, you know, that we can trust. Well, the problem with that, of course, is that you can't trust any global government run by one or more countries in concert because they will have baggage, you know, religious, political, economic baggage, and that will not make a fair world government. So it's laying the groundwork for what I've been warning about since 1977. That is the great deception, the use of you know, advanced technology like flying saucers, anti-gravity, by allegedly our elder brothers from space who will come claiming to be the, our messiahs. And they'll come in when we have crisis curves that are so dire that the people are looking for anyone without an earth-attached history and baggage to help them solve the problem. And obviously the, the common opinion will be if these people can fly through space, you know, like Star Trek and things like that, then they must have figured out how to have peaceful governments. And if they're here to help us, they don't have any allegiance to Republicans, Democrats, you know, uh, uh, Brits, French, anybody. And let's give them a chance to help us organize our planet. Otherwise, we're dead. And that's that's the the impact I see that will come out of a nuclear exchange uh, in the near future. It may be later in the year, you know, down toward the end of the year, or it may be this one. Uh, you know, the, the Antichrist in Daniel, it, it does say he will come to power with the aid of a small people. Now, I think that means a small country. And I don't know whether that means the Palestinians or whether it means, um, you know, North Korea uh, or some other small country. But uh, a crisis will occur, and of course we can see that in Syria and with the Palestinians, and we can see that in North Korea right now. So these things could trigger a nuclear war that would make people cry out for someone to get rid of the insanity that runs our world at the moment. And so that's that's what I'm watching. Okay. Um, oh, gee, that was easy. You agreed. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, uh, I don't know. Um, I apologize, Dan. I lost my train of thought. I was, uh, looking at something else here as, uh, we switched, but, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, with, with everything that's going on and, and looking at your show images page, the, what I was reading about was the, cause you brought this to my attention, the, the ships that were said to be going to North Korea actually going to right. Australia. I thought those were separate, um, Dispatches of of military personnel and vehicles, but that obviously is not the case after doing some reading uh, just now. And you know, it, it's interesting to me, and that made me think of a lot of other stories that are reported as being um, one way, um, as being you know. I mean, we see it all the time. We had John Rappaport on last hour. We were talking about the Syrian gas attack, and everybody was so gung ho that Assad did it right out of the gate without any evidence, any you know, real information. And we talk about this a lot. It just makes me wonder, you know, how many of these stories are, are shoved down our throats by intelligence agencies, by people in power, um, versus what's true. It's, it's not based on what's true anymore, the information that we receive. It's based on what is going to grab the desired result. And we knew yeah. that this was, um, 
how the the news operates, but it's just um, it's grown so large the deception. It almost makes you want to just not even pay attention to what's going on in the world if you can't see through the garbage to tell what the truth is. But I'm sorry for I know for you can't even trust like like bloggers and stuff like that, you know, that are not part of the well, allegedly not part of the deception, you know, the fake news. But you can't even trust that because you know the powers that be do realize if we don't trust the regular news media, you know, it's tainted that we might go for you know the blog talks the. the, the privately made videos and that kind of stuff saying here's the news in my area so you can't even trust that um, in the end um, you know those of us that are kind of aware of what's happening in general sit back and watch events uh, occur you, you see what they do not what they say <sighs> anyway yeah, I, yeah that's, it's not going to be easy no no it's not and, and this is why we take what we do we, you know we we, we take, we, we don't immediately react to events. We respond after a level of investigation or a measure of investigation to verify what we can. Um, so yeah, right on the money. But, but, but you know, again, getting back to this, uh, we're seeing our voices, they're attempting to silence our voices through a number of different, uh, different, uh, methods. But, Having said that, I mean, as far as being able to to have these uh, radio things that we do on on the yeah, blog talk and yeah. on the internet, right? Well, yeah, primarily one of the issues that we opened the program with was uh, uh, the New York Times had a, had a story yesterday about the YouTube, how YouTube is just decimating the citizen journalists, the independent journalists out there, by removing the ad revenue uh, from their you used to be able to to underwrite your investigations through, or at least part of them, uh, through, through ad revenue on the videos. Well, YouTube has put it, essentially put an end to that, unless you're talking about, um, you know, the LGBT, how good the LGBT uh, stuff is, or how good, uh, you know, how, how your last abortion went, or how you're faring in your you know, homosexual marriage. Okay, then it's okay. Um, or if you're Talking in glowing terms about about Islam, then it's okay. Uh, but but anyway, you know, any YouTube video, even is the word Islam, if you use it, if it's in a tag in the title, you're going to be demonetized instantly. But they're taking it to uh, another. Really? Oh yeah. Well, not Islam. Uh, no, no. You gotta you take a look at this. No, no. It's 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 the conservative, politically conservative, and Christian websites or videos are being demonetized. Islam in the tag is not going to necessarily cut your revenue. But how you, and in fact, they're actually going into the speech to attempt to decipher, um, what you're saying about, about Islam. So it's that advanced, Dan. Well, with the algorithms, the, uh, keywords, uh, maybe it, it tags it to give a, a second look at the content and how it's, how it's presented. But one thing that, uh, and Stan, we'll have to send you this New York Times article, what we're referring to. But one thing that really stuck out to me is it's not just the journalists. Um, they talk about a number of other, uh, types of accounts on uh, from comedians, political commentators, uh, subjects from military arms. The video games are being squeezed by the uh, the ad shakeups, as they say. And one of the uh, Paul Joseph Watson did a YouTube video on this on um, a guy named uh, uh, PewDiePie. Is that right? He's some big YouTube guy who basically makes millions of dollars or or has made millions of dollars over the years playing video games on. Online, he's got one of the biggest YouTube channels out there for some reason. 
but his uh, revenue has been has been taken away because while he's playing these old World War II video games, he he killing Hitler in the in the game and making jokes about it. They they tagged that as politically offensive content and even anti-Semitic content, and and has have demonetized a lot of his of his revenue. And this guy's not political at all. He was just some gamer. Uh, maybe with a sense of humor, who was making uh, jokes and was very popular and made the wrong joke one day. And um, they even make an, cite an example of a, a person who has a, a syndicated radio show who broadcasts on YouTube, who follows the FCC content rules, who has been demonetized on YouTube for the type of content that they talk about. So this is, it's very widespread. And they're doing it in a number of different ways, from advertisers pulling out revenue to um, YouTube's algorithms and people behind the algorithms deciding what is acceptable, what's not acceptable, what's offensive, what's not offensive. But it only, in the political speech, it only seems to, to, to fall on the conservative side. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I, I have a few videos up on my YouTube channel, and uh, I experimented with the, um, the ad revenue thing they offer you, know, and I, I realized very quickly and stopped it, just pulled the ads out, that what they do is, you know, they place these ads in the middle of your video to annoy people. And I thought to myself, when I go look at a YouTube video, if it says you can skip this ad in six seconds or whatever, my finger's hanging over the button to flush as quick as I can because it's a news. I don't even look at what the ad's about. So I'm wondering how many of these people are really making that much revenue because you don't get whatever it is, 12 cents a click or whatever, unless they they actually click on the ad and go look at whatever is being thrown up on your YouTube video. Right, right. yeah. It, yeah um, it's a numbers it's a numbers game. And I know for us, uh, and, and our audience is, is the best audience, I believe, because um, we rely on their support. But to offset some of the technical expenses, you know, uh, the ad revenue does assist, assist in offsetting those expenses. However, you take that revenue away, man. You know, it's just. But, but nonetheless, um, I did. I, sorry about taking you down that road uh, to get you off track. We we have an email from Dwayne. The, this the subject that you were talking about, North Korea. He, he just wanted to make sure you. you uh, uh, I read this to you real quick here. With respect to uh, North Korea, the question: Are they sucking us into the Korean area to get us where they want us? Turn the light on. In his head, he writes. Uh, in Dwayne's head. Uh, so he's agreeing with you on that, saying that he's no expert, but a lot of things that didn't make sense until you brought that up now fit like a glove. And I think he, you hit the nail, you stand hit the nail on the head. I hope not. Thanks for all you do, and Dwayne. So, um, apparently that, what you said with North Korea, and I too, it resonated with me in terms of the tactics to, uh, well, you know, we, you and I, you know, all of us that, uh, put uh, stuff out like this and been trying to wake people up, we know that if you look at what the obvious media push is, that's probably the wrong direction. You know, they're hurting us into a direction. They're not doing anything to do us a favor. Uh, so you have to look at alternate explanations for activities, whether it be, you know, the movement of the, the fleet or, you know, economic movements or, you know, whatever. Um, I have to admit, I, I'd like to see a better world government come in and, and uh, run the place, uh, but problem is that the one that's going to be offered first is going to be, you know, satanic. It's going to be bad. It'll look good, but it's going to be bad. We're warned about that. So eventually, yeah. a good government will come when the Messiah, Yeshua, comes. And uh, I look forward to that time. But in the meantime, we've got to deal with what they're doing to us and, you know, take the blinders off. 
Yeah, sadly, until then, uh, we are going to be fighting for the truth, fighting for our faith. Uh, we're going to be fighting, that I guess is the bottom line, until yeah. the Lord returns. And I guess that, that should be understood from, by every Christian. Uh, it's not going to be easy. And it's, you're going to be resistant to the return. I think things are going to be happening too. Uh, this threat of nuclear war is certainly, you know, foremost in the, in the press at the moment. They're trying to hurt us, you know, for fear around that issue. But we're also going to see food price increases and food shortages across the, the planet, even here in the United States, because the weather has the yeah, Holly was just saying, she uh, put it on our webpage uh, in the news about the shortages of vegetables we're going to have here because of the change in weather and various other factors, um, workers that are not there anymore. Um, and, you know, with the with the change in the weather, that's going to that's be driving us toward a state of famine in certain countries, probably countries with large populations, uh, you know, underdeveloped ones. And we look at the earthquake uh, incidences. The the patterns do show some irregularities at the moment, with Richter sixes occurring on both sides of the Ring of Fire in the same day in the Southern Hemisphere. But still, um, and we see that uh, in California they've identified a, a a fault line that runs right up into the suburbs of Los Angeles. It's a it's a short one, and uh, this darn thing uh, they had warned about it before, but now then they're saying. We're really warning about this one because it could drop the whole area, you know, about four feet all of a sudden. And that would be pretty harmful to everything built in Los Angeles, especially on the south side of it. So I, they're getting us ready for... It would drop the land four feet? Yeah, yeah. They found evidence of it happening before in, in a swampy area there that it had at one time suffered an earthquake that dropped it down that far. So they're saying that could happen again. You know, uh, I've been in a couple of minor earthquakes, and so is Holly with me. We, you know, you, you sway to and fro left and right in some of them, but those that drop, you know, like you, you drop four feet, that hurts buildings and it hurts people too, and bridges and all kinds of things break when that happens. And it's not necessarily meaning that you know Los Angeles will sink into the ocean, but they're they've warned on this now two or three times in the last six months. I think it's time we start paying attention. That's one of the other uh, crisis curves is geophysical, you know, geological events, in addition to uh, meteorological or weather events affecting food. And, uh, you know, now we've got the race, you know, or the religion race card being played here in the States, and we have the threat of nuclear, or sorry, of, of civil war in the United States on many sides. And that affects not only the United States, but the whole world, because... They're all watching what America's doing at the moment. Some depending on America, some, you know, lambastic America for doing what it's doing. But the thing is, we're still in the sights of the world, uh, for good or for bad. So if we break apart here, that's a crisis curve again. So uh, I think there's probably between four and seven crisis curves that uh, Holly and I have looked at over the past that any one or two of them could drive the people of the planet into accepting, you know, um, a government from outer space rather than any government on the earth. I don't know of any country uh, where the people are happy with their current government. Um, like in Turkey, where Erdogan just won that that election to give him absolute power over the country, it squeaked by with about 1.6% margin in his favor, and that's questionable because people are saying the vote counting wasn't uh, legal in certain uh, or fair in certain areas. But 
um, so you know the Turkish people in general, even the ones that voted for his uh, absolute power thing, I think a lot of them did it because they didn't want to die because he'd come on them out. Uh, even the losing power he's got. Say? Yeah, I, I said that. So that through coercion, and that's a very slim uh, margin to win by um, the one point six percent. And uh, I read one story about that, and I've seen a number of headlines. It's a uh, seems to be a developing situation. It's still in the news, but. Um, yeah, more power to Drogan, and I think that spells trouble for the whole region. Uh, we're talking with Standeo. He's our guest. Go to Standeo.com. Check out the show images page on his website. Um, in the show images page, there's details to a giveaway that we'll hit again on the other side, as well as talk about a number of stories Stan has up on his uh, website. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Visit HagmanReport.com for the news and articles that matter most. Stay tuned. We will be right back. There shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, nor ever shall be. Folks, I'm going to direct your attention to masterpreps.com, masterpreps.com. Wow. Uh, masterpreps.com, uh, the sponsor of our show, masterpreps.com. That's masterpreps.com. Take a visit there. High-quality items, made-in-America items. I mean, anything, everything you possibly want from uh, cooking uh, utensils, uh, cooking frying pans. To, I mean, it is, it'll blow you away. Absolutely, Eric's. Uh, it's insane. I mean, wow. Look at the products. Folks, visit masterpreps.com. Again, welcome to the Hagman and Hagman Report family, masterpreps.com. I mean, wow, it's insane. Masterpreps.com. Are you ready for what comes next? Hi, I'm Grace Gonzalez from Train Post in the Woods. We are an American family-owned company founded and built on skills and knowledge gained from responding to aging major disasters in the U.S. and around the world. We found that most people don't have enough food and water to survive, let alone any medicinals to save their life. We are offering 25% off our must-have American Heritage Armies kit. It contains 12 homeopathic armies, a booklet that goes over everything in your kit, and our brand new book, Major Disasters Lessons Learned. Just enter coupon code HAGMAN. In life or a disaster, you must be able to take care of yourself. You may not be a medical doctor, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother probably weren't either. But they still knew how to minister to their family's health issues, and so can you. Check out our American Heritage Armies kit at www.changepersonwoods.com. Your life may depend on it. Hello, everyone. This is Joe Charles, the guy whose voice is heard announcing for the Hagman and Hagman Report right here on YouTube and across the Global Star Radio Network. There have been many people wondering whose music is being played during those breaks. Well, you guessed it. And we're very pleased to announce that all that music and 11 brand new songs from the CD New Jerusalem is set for release on April 10th for download on iTunes. 
That means you can help support my ministry and be blessed by this awesome, inspiring recording. I have been fortunate to work with some phenomenal musicians from around the world that helped us put this recording together in the studio. Simply go to joecharlesmusic.com and click on the iTunes link. Or, if you'd rather have a CD, we'll send one right out to you. Just leave me your email and we'll get right back to you. And thanks to Doug and Joe Hagman for making this all possible. God bless. Tuesday edition of the Hagman and Hagman Report. Our guest each and every Tuesday in hour number three is Stan Deo. His website is standeo.com. On the right-hand side of that website, if you scroll down a little bit, to the right of the microphone, you'll find the show images page, and use that page uh, when Stan comes on, and check out the uh, the graphics and research that Stan puts together for each Tuesday interview. Um, Stan, on the show images page, and my dad mentioned this at the beginning, you're giving away 10 free copies of your lecture on the discovery of the Garden of Eden. Enter Eden in the subject line, only one entry per person. Folks, go there, click the link if you want to enter, and make sure that you uh, send the email properly with the proper subject line. And on May 1st at midnight, there will be a drawing, and there will be 10 winners. And Stan likes to to do this for for our audience, for um, his audience, uh, these these giveaways, whether it's books, whether it's uh, uh, DVDs uh, or lecture series, it's always a crowd pleaser. So we want to thank you for doing that, Stan. You're most welcome, and and the listeners too. Uh, Holly just put that up on our website uh, probably about an hour ago, and I just put it up on my show image page about the same time. And I'm already getting a flood of of uh, entries at the moment. I I would assume that's from your listeners because. Uh, the majority of people that read our site do it during the morning hours between, you know, about 8 and uh, midday. However, wherever you're from, that's good. We're paying the postage uh, anywhere in the world if you win one of the 10 copies. Um, <clears throat> you know, uh, speaking of that, the, the Garden of Eden stuff, um, I have in image 39 a link to an article where uh, Prime Minister, or former Prime Minister, Ehud Barak of Israel, was about another 200 visitors or tourists from Israel landed in Tanzania the uh, last couple of days. And they've been, uh, part of the political team from Israel has been over there with him uh, making deals with the president of Tanzania about uh, strengthening uh, tourism between Tanzania and Israel. But what people wouldn't know by reading the article is that I talked to a, um, a pastor over in Israel, we talked by phone uh, several times, and he had a meeting, uh, he was uh, attending a meeting uh, there in Israel, some function, and uh, he was pulled aside by two men, tall men in, in suits, that pulled him over into a side room, asked him to speak to him. And he swears they must have been angels, because they said to him, um, there's a time coming when the people of Israel will have to escape and run to a hiding place, and it will be in Tanzania. And I, you know, he thinks it might be the Ingoro Crater. I don't know how that would protect him, but anyway, the point is that Israel is making ties with Tanzania and even saying in the news article, we want to honor, you know, what you've found here outside the Ingoro Crater, what the Leakeys found at the Old Dubai Museum where they, the dig where they found the oldest hominid bones, because it is obvious to us in Israel that that's where mankind started for the whole planet. So they're pointing to the Garden of Eden 
indirectly uh, in the the article. Um, there are other news articles and travel articles that, that do say it is the uh, the Garden of Eden of Africa. And I'm waiting for the time when they'll finally admit it openly that, yes, this is the original Garden of Eden as well. Um, we have a friend down there uh, that does tours, safari tours of the area. And, uh, you know, for the Ngoro and uh, the Conservancy and, and several other surrounding areas there, five-day tour. And I put a link to his site up there. The, uh, the image 36 uh, takes you to his website and to the particular one there for the uh, Ngoro Garden of Eden thing. Anyway, people are going to Tanzania from all over the world. Uh, their tourism has just skyrocketed. And I suspect that Israel will probably help with building, you know, certain things here, you know, construction stuff for the increase in tourism. That's probably what they're talking about behind the scenes. Um, anyway, that's that's going to be interesting. Keep watching Tanzania for developments between Tanzania and Israel and the Garden of Eden there, because I think all this is going to come to the forefront and prove what I've been telling people. So get your DVD, either buy it or wait for one of the free copies if you win one of them. And you'll see the discussion and the points I make, why that is the Garden of Eden. Um, I'm going to write a, in fact, I'm in the process of writing the, the uh, sequel to the Vindicator Scrolls that I wrote in 89. And uh, that was when I initiated my search for uh, Eden, the uh, Garden of Eden, and Atlantis. Now there's so much more information to prove the points and locate it that it's taking another book. And so I've started writing the, the thing you know, bit by bit uh, because on a radio show or on a lecture that lasts uh, maybe 80 minutes, if you're lucky, uh, it is impossible to cover the depth of proof of these two things. You have to have it in writing with pictures and drawings, and it's it's uh, it's taking a lot of work, but it's going to be worth it when I get it written. Sounds fascinating. And, uh, you know, your lecture series are very interesting and and. You know, personally, I don't always agree, and it's not based on your evidence or anything that you've done or haven't done. But um, they're they're very fascinating, and they open up a whole new level of possibilities to, um, especially you know the Garden of Eden stuff. I was, I don't know why I was just like, oh, that can't be right, that can't be right. But you know, the more evidence you presented, I had to look at at things, and I'm still undecided about it. But it's the the ability to be able to to help people to to find different avenues and ways of thinking about things and look at different pieces of evidence and, and facts that you find that other people might not ever come across in their life, even though uh, it could be subjects very near and dear to their heart. Um, so we, well, we thank that's you why that. you, know, you share these things, you know, because you you invite discussion, the pros and cons of it. Um, in defending a position like that, you, uh, you learn uh, either mistakes or you uh, share with the other person and they learn. Um, that Garden of Eden thing, heck, um, you know, I got a lot of feedback from people uh, that were like technical people and also people that were uh, biblical scholars. And I'd say 95% of it was in agreement. That 5%, I still read and listen and, and analyze their points. On Atlantis, which was, you know, the, the, the time of the flood, it was Saudi Arabia, um, I got information from the petroleum industry, uh, detailed information why they agreed with the asteroid impact theory that I had. And I'm still, you know, in correspondence with um, geologists down in Western Australia uh, about uh, the impact of a huge meteor asteroid, same one I, I found, um, that left glass beads, you know, in strata underneath Western Australia. And, uh, you know, 
they're not yet ready to accept the timing because of the way we date geological ages, they still stick to the, the fact that uh, the speed of light is constant, you know, and uh, that the radioactive decay of the elements they use to uh, date things um, is constant. It's a function of the speed of light, speed of light waves in, in space. And they're going to have to eventually reverse their position and look at, at the speed of light as a variable speed that used to be a lot faster at the beginning of the Big Bang, you know, 10 to the 60th power, 10 with 60 zeros after it faster. And that meant that everything that took, you know, like billions of years in using the speed of light as a constant didn't. It took like tens of thousands of years. Uh, we're, we're talking about a universe that's not four and a half to 15 billion years old, depending on who tells you the age of it. That's just totally wrong. What we're seeing out there in our telescopes is uh, light coming to us from some distant place. And they say, well, the speed of light is this today, therefore that place is a long way away. But it's not. It's a lot closer because that light zipped over to us in the beginning. And it's now only slowing down. So those kind of things, those technical facts, those are the basis of an argument one presents scientifically. You say, all right, I'm going to tell you a story about how uh, the Earth was uh, smaller. I'm going to tell you a story about how an asteroid broke the, the, the continents apart. I'm going to tell you a story about um, how the, the surface of the Earth was upside down. I'm going to tell you a story about all these things happened in recent time, catastrophically, and not over millions or billions of years. But to do that, I'm going to explain, you know, blah, why the speed of light is different, how that affects it, and uh, why planets and stars expand, uh, you know, as part of the aging process, blah, blah, blah. So I'm laying those things out in the book. And uh, I'm putting the technical support for it in appendices because I, I don't want to frighten anybody reading that in the first part of the book. But what I'm putting in there, I'm going to document so well that it's going to be hard to argue, to argue against it. Very interesting. Number 37 on your show images page. I've seen a little bit of uh, information about this asteroid flyby. Mostly I've seen... Mm-hmm. Amateur astronomers going to broadcast the flyby or, or different websites trying to do the same thing. Anything that we should uh, know or be concerned about with this asteroid? I don't think we'd be concerned, but it just tells you that, you know, this was logged in 2014. Uh, they, did, they did discover it then. But there are a lot of them out there, thousands, that they have not discovered, but they know that they're because of the... Uh, the effect that their orbits have on other smaller objects, they can they can tell there's something there, but they don't know where it is exactly. And some of them, in fact, the majority of them, don't reflect light enough for you to pick it up on your telescope. You've got to look at infrared, you've got to look at gravitational perturbation, all that kind of stuff. So we could have, you know, an asteroid bullet with our name on it uh, in the next 10 years or less that no one has discovered yet. It could sneak up on us. This one is close in astronomical terms. Uh, in, as far as being frightened by it, no. It's, at this point, too far out. It's, you know, like four and a half times the distance of the moon from the Earth. But if you look at that uh, image 37, click on the big version of it, you see what they presented as a, a an image showing where the moon and the Earth are and the distance between them, and then where this asteroid is. And when you look at it that way, it's in our neighborhood. Just to remind you that we're not out of the woods ever uh, until we figure out some way to make a planetary shield against such things. Um, yes, and, that and was did the you see? That up. Did you see NASA's uh, been talking about or is about to deploy uh, some type of asteroid 
shielding or, or anti-asteroid aircraft. And, you know, we see these claims all the time, usually right after they happen. You know, huge asteroid, you know, missed, grazed Earth yesterday or missed Earth by a, you know, fraction. Yeah. Uh, but they said that they've almost, they've had to, they thought they were going to have to deploy this anti-asteroid technology that they had, whether it hooks onto the asteroid and, you know, rockets it away or blows it up. They said that they had one close call in the past, the very recent past, where they thought they were going to have to de- de- deploy it and use it. Uh, but now they're, they say they're, they're not in danger of having to do that. They're going to use it and, and test it out a little bit more. Do you believe well, we have the ability it, to shield asteroids like that? I mean, even ones we see coming. Um, to a degree, depending upon how, how far away we detect them, like if their orbit, uh, we've got several months, so we can send out a series of satellites to hook up to it and then start thrusting against it to change its orbit to get away from us. Um, as far as blowing them up, that's never been quite the the preferred uh, treatment for asteroids because if you fracture them and don't change the orbit of the pack of the fractures, it just means it'll be like a shotgun effect when it hits us. Instead of one hole, it'll make a bunch of them, and it'll it'll hurt a lot more, you know, from the heat uh, generated. Um, they've looked at uh, uh, more favorably at hooking things onto it to uh, use uh, solar energy to convert that to ion thrust drives, so that you can have constant power from the sun and have a big collector antenna doing all that and emitting these ions to uh, that you can actually convert from the material of the uh, asteroid so that you shift its course away from us far enough that we don't have to worry about that one. So planetary defense uh, is in its infancy, and certainly it's not been tested as far as I know yet. Smaller asteroids, yeah, you can you can, uh, you can can vaporize them or blast them, and, and there'll be smaller showers of you know shooting stars in our sky, and, and they won't hurt us. Well, not much anyway. Uh, not enough to worry about. So, yeah. I don't know that they've tested it yet, but I think as far as I can tell, I mean, Holly and I were guests over here at uh, the Space Center for, you know, space defense, and um, we uh, we were told a lot of things and shown a lot of things, and uh, I have to tell you that they do need a bigger budget than they've got now then to, to handle the 5,000 unknowns that are floating out there that could uh, eat our lunch. So I can understand why they don't give public interviews. Sam, while we're talking about space, um, I saw this article a few days ago, maybe the end of last week, uh, the possibility that Saturn's moon and Cleitus may be supporting some kind of bacterial life. I don't know if you saw that or not. And then the oh, they're going to be ocean. flying a, a, on, the, on one of Saturn's moons. Uh, yeah, uh, is it the one that has the frozen ocean? Oh, that's uh, a... <laughs> That's a detail I don't know. Saturn's ice crust and moon. Was, there you go. Ice crust yeah, and moon. It, so, yeah. Yeah, it, uh, they thought that islands were appearing and disappearing there in the photographs they got. And they think now that it's bubbles from the, the biological activity uh, underneath the ice over that ocean. And uh, I think part of their theory at this, or hypothesis at this point, is that the ice cover over the moon, that moon, um, is like an insulator and uh, so there are temperatures down underneath that where the water is liquid or the methane uh, gas or you know whatever it really is and that's what uh, these bacteria are living on and therefore there could be a larger food chain above those bacteria living there as well um, 
sure that one of these days when we get the opportunity to explore uh, the universe before it all gets blown away at the end of the book of Revelation, that we will find a lot of interesting things like you see on Star Trek and that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it is. I did see that. Hey, did you see last... today? Oh, go ahead. Today? Go ahead. Say again. Sorry. No, I was just going to mention that uh, um, for the last space thing I wanted to ask you about, um, you know how they made the discovery of possible seven Earth-like planets uh, not too far away? Uh, yeah. Maybe. Well, they, they went on to say that they believe they found a atmosphere on one of the planet, planets very similar to Earth with oceans and stuff. I didn't know if you saw anything about that. I don't have any of the information in front of me. Um, yeah, just I've if you seen those. Somebody, okay. I'm just, at this point, it's academic. I'm thinking, okay, yeah. well, those are several light years away traveling at the speed of light, and we, we're way behind that in our technology. Uh, it's going to take a breakthrough in technology, which, you know, I'm sure Satan and his minions do have to jump large distances of space rather than propelling through it to, to warp space and bend it to, closer to us. Um, in that case, uh, it would be a nice place to uh, explore and to move parts of the population of Earth to should there, the star that that planet operates you know, circles around is not going Nova anytime soon or Red Giant or anything else. These are all factors that need to be considered before you choose an alternate Earth to ship people to. I mean, our sun is is, is misbehaving. Right now, it should be in its quiet uh, time, and we've got an active sunspot region that in the last 12, 13 hours, uh, you can see it in image 34. You can click on that and actually see the, the, the limb of the uh, eruption. Um, this is going to breed some you know, class M flares and radio uh, interference here in the next two weeks when it uh, turns around and faces us head on. And if it continues this kind of eruptions or coronal mass ejections and flares, uh, if the sun is just, it has not been as quiet as it should be in a low sunspot period. But um, we have an active sunspot region spinning around at us and spewing out stuff right now. So we officially, our scientists on the planet do not understand how the sun works. Uh, unofficially, they're, they're getting pretty close, uh, factoring in changes that they've seen since 1992 when the sun started emitting new frequencies of electromagnetic radiation in the ultraviolet range. And I think that that's a lead-up to what the, the, the forecast in the Bible is as far as the, the, the light of the sun being uh, bright by seven times and burning the, the fish in the ocean, boiling them, and burning grass and green trees and stuff on one-third of the planet, which is the surface area of Earth as it faces the sun at any point in time. It's a third of the surface area. So there's going to be some kind of a super blow-off of dust and cloud that will shield the sun and then intense light. Um, the heat won't be correspondingly seven times greater, but it will be greater. Uh, and the light to your eyes will be so bright that you'll have to you know, hide in caves or shield your eyes with lead shielding, I think it's going to be bad. But our sun is doing things that it should not do, according to normal mainstream physics, for oh, a billion years. But, you know, we could see massive changes to the surface of the sun in the next 10 years. Stan, is there any uh, science that would indicate that the sun cycles have either, either gotten shorter or longer, changing the estimated period where you wouldn't see these kind of activities during the cooler um, time for the sun? Or is this just yeah, a, what completely I've seen, out of character? Uh, I've, 
Yeah, I've I've uh, I've plotted uh, for years the uh, sunspot numbers, the main numbers uh, at the beginning, during, and after you know the peaks, and we've seen two or three periods of time where the 11.8 year cycle of sunspots has produced double peaks within that 11 years, and I looked at those and I thought, okay, well the general trend is upward, increasing numbers of sunspots, and then I looked at the bottom of the trough where everything's supposed to be quiet. You know, at, at uh, the middle of the 11 and a half year cycle, or at the end of it, depending on where you, you start, uh, when the sunspot activity drops off, there's a, a trough down there. And the troughs have been higher and higher, so that the minimum amount of sunspot activity has been growing. I'm going to be quite interested to see the next few months, or a year or two, I guess, as we start to climb back up toward the, the, the next uh, solar sunspot count. Uh, what kind of irregularities we're going to get. And what we're seeing today, you know, in that flare I put up on the site, um, it tells me that we're still active and it's, it's, it's more active than it should be at this time of the peak. So are the cycles uh, shorter or longer? The average is about 11.8 years, but some run close to 12, some kind of run closer to 11. Uh, personally, I think that they are tied uh, to synchronous orbits of Jupiter and Saturn pulling on the, the sun in their orbits and where they are relative to the sun. And, and RCA uh, research, you know, they did in the 50s, does indicate the same thing. However, that's just kind of a scientific hypothesis at the moment. Something is doing it, and our sun is changing, and, you know, it's... Well, you know, look at our weather at the moment. Uh, they're trying to blame all this heating on human activity, and that's just not going to get it. Not going to get it at all. The kind of energy we're talking about can only come from the sun. That's the big energy donor to us at the moment. Yeah, and you've been saying that for a long time. And uh, you know, with all the global warming scandals, the man-made global warming scandals, from data manipulation to government agencies covering that up, to the misreporting for purposes of who knows what fear-mongering to carbon taxes to more control it seems less i mean regardless of what the climate's doing as you point out the solar system's warming it's not just yeah, our, it our earth and when you look at that that tells you all you need to know and i remember last time you were on you you put up those carbon dioxide and carbon monoxide models and it was contrary yep. um, to what you thought it would be and what it would be reported in the news as being and i haven't checked on those models uh since then but that's a me a reminder to do so. There, there are so two you're right. things uh, I can say to that, too. You know, the globalists, um, first of all, they want to encourage people to have a global solution to everything, okay? And so fear-mongering with, you know, global warm, warming being caused by human industry, that's one way to do it. But the other thing is they would not want to support, um, even if there's no conspiracy, they would not want to support a panic to the people of Earth saying, there's nothing we can do about this. This is the sun. They're inviting anarchy when that when they say things like that. So there are there are factors, reasons that I'm sure they've all kind of you know used to reach the position they did to to lie about the global warming. I think the major part was for power and for you know like political power and for setting up a global government that had teeth to you know, control everybody, make us slaves. But anyway, those those are two things. Um, Quickly here, uh, images 31, 32. Uh, I stumbled on this thing here, and uh, they've been doing this for about 10 years. In the Middle East, they've been building a miniature CERN. Did you know about that? Um, no. I mean, maybe we heard about it, but not in the Middle East. Mini CERN. What could possibly go wrong? 
<laughs> well, my mind went to, yeah, what could possibly go wrong? And are we looking at, uh, you know, this is being done in, in Jordan at the Amman uh, base there. And I uh, started doing some studies of the strength of this uh, CERN-type ring that they're building there. And you can download the PDF from, uh, I think it's Chapter 5, of, of the thing that they put out there at this, uh, this CERN gate. But the interesting part about it is this is in the Middle East where the legends of uh, Aladdin and his magic lamp and open sesame, you know, open the cave with all the treasures. And we've been talking about possibly CERN or CERN-like devices forming gateways between the universes. And you see that they're calling the project the Sesame Project. It's an abbreviation of the uh, uh, the terms for it. Uh, it's you know, uh, let me see if I can find it here. What what Sesame stands for? But anyway, it's uh, the scientific uh, exploration, basically in particle physics, uh, using oh here we go, synchrotron light for experimental science and applications in the Middle East. Now, what I thought was interesting was the countries that are involved in this, either as observers or as contributors to funding it. Israel is one. You know, Pakistan is one, uh, Jordan obviously because they're hosting it, but there are a number of Middle East countries that you wouldn't think, and even the Palestinian Authority has, has jumped into to support it too. Uh, the, the, these are natural Iran. enemies, but they're supporting the CERN research over there. Yeah, they're listed work? here. Iran, Egypt, Israel, Jordan, Palestine, Turkey, Pakistan, yeah. and, and more. Yeah, yeah, that's the one. And, you know, uh, this this little synchrotron ring that they're building uh, is smaller than CERN. And to give you an idea how much smaller, the total energy of the, the Sesame Project is like about, you know, three, um, well, it's, it's four million times smaller than what happens over at CERN in France. That's how small it is. But maybe they've figured out a way to get away with less energy, you know, different frequencies or something. The fact that all of them are, are uh, monitoring it and, and and putting money into it might mean that they want to be sure that no one else gets a jump on them if they make a major discovery, you know, like they're talking about. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. As if there weren't enough problems. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, wow. And, and you, you asked me at the beginning to show what I was doing. Uh, image 22 down on the left side there give you a, a little bit of an idea of what I'm investigating at the moment. I, I think this is during the... the the flood period, or just before it, or just immediately after it in Oman, and they've got a, a lot of these, what they call beehive tombs out of flat rocks that are very nicely shaped to form these conical-shaped buildings with a hole in the top and a, a doorway in the side. There's been no bones ever found in these things, no skeletons, nothing. They don't know what these were used for, but they were put up on ridges in Oman, in the mountain ranges there. And I suppose they would have been high enough not to have been destroyed by the the, the floods, but partially knocked down by the flood and the, the tsunamis from the asteroid impact that sank Atlantis. But I'm, that's that's a current bit of uh, research. I just thought I'd share it with folks to um, see what you know what comes out, what feedback I get from that. Uh, yeah. Okay. One last thing, image thirty-five. I know we're running up to the line here. Um, Click on image 35 and have a look at these ingots they got from a shipwreck that uh, was around 600 B.C., they think. Uh, that was probably oh, 14, 15, probably, probably 2,000 years after the flood. But um, if they, they said that the ingots they found were the legendary orichalcum that was supposedly made by the Atlanteans. And I, the, the chemical composition they, they list there fits exactly what I talked about.
Boy has over 270,000 views now. Nice. Okay. And they're saying this is a mysterious metal. Not Nothing similar has ever been found. Fascinating. Yeah. Man. Yeah, well, I know where the mine is. There's two mines for it. One, in, uh, one side's in Oman, and another one's over on the west coast of Saudi Arabia near Jeddah. Um, the, the, the ingots, or sorry, the, the veins in which they got the gold also had uh, a mixture of uh, copper and zinc and iron in the percentages you need to make um, alloy number C23, C23,000, C23, which is red brass, and that's what orichalcum was. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. I'm going to read this article after the show. Stan, you've taken us to the end of the program. Thank you so much for joining us, and have a great week. You too, guys. God bless you now. Thanks, Brent. All right. Night-night. That'll do it for us tonight. Thanks for, for watching. Uh, thanks to Stan, Austin Brewer, and John Rappaport, who are our guests tonight. Until tomorrow, stay safe, God bless, and have a great night.